you know, you go through these lows and highs, but going into 300, it just felt like we were invincible. Like just feeling like fired up and like, let's just go. So it was wild to hit that mark and then feel all kinds of new energy. Like that was what was so special about it. Cause you, you get beyond 300 miles and then you realize, wow, like you have more force than you ever had even in the first day. You're like, where did this come from? So, I mean, so much is the mindset to get out there when it's cold and rainy and 11 p.m., you know, like what's driving you. So then it gets us back to the question of why. And that's the other major thing. And like, to be honest with you, whenever I'm doing an A race that I really care about, I actually write down my why statement and I write down a bunch of stuff under why. Some are sort of personal. Some definitely would be like for other people you know, for my students or my parents. I would like to impact other people and their lifestyle. That motivates me a lot to do my very best to hopefully impact someone else. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. How you guys doing? Are you good? Is it all good out there? Good. Well, prepare for more good because my guest today is Cincinnati-based high school teacher and plant-based ultra running phenomenon, Harvey Lewis. This guy, get a load of this. He's been running ultras for over 25 years at this point, over 76 ultras and counting, including 10 bad water appearances. And along the way, he's won a whole bunch of them. He's won a slew of races. But this past year, at the ripe age of 45, Harvey finds this brand new gear, not only winning his second Badwater, but following it up this past October with just an absolutely stunning win at the Big Dogs Backyard Ultra, which is this really cool last person standing format that entails running a four mile loop every hour on the hour until nobody's left, where he clocked an astounding and world record setting 354 miles over an 85 hour period. 354 miles on essentially no sleep. How does he do it? Well, we're about to find out, but first. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. 
With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. 
That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. So, Harvey, the first thing you notice about Harvey is just his infectious energy. This guy is bursting with positivity. And this conversation was just an absolute joy. Of course, we cover his storied career from the dirty details behind his backyard ultra breakthrough to also becoming the fastest to run from Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in North America to the actual summit of Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the contiguous US. We also discussed the hows and whys behind his training, continued improvement, and the role that his plant-based diet plays in all of this. We discuss how he balances life as an elite ultra marathoner with his full-time occupation as a high school teacher and how the two actually inform each other. We, in addition, talk about his FKT attempt on the Appalachian Trail, how it brought him closer to his father who crewed the affair and the documentary, which is entitled Like Harvey, Like Son, that tells the tale. If there is a theme to this one, it's the power of showing up, making room for the magic that comes with rigorous, consistent, and patient pursuit of the thing you love. It's also a masterclass on mental toughness, how pushing beyond the limits of what we perceive possible rests not in physical talents, but instead in training mindset. I love this guy, I think you will too. So here we go, Harvey Lewis in all his resplendent awesomeness. Harvey Lewis is in the house. I can't believe you came out here to see me, man. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's an absolute honor. Honestly, I'm so excited to be here. Um, in thinking about your story, and as somebody who I followed for a long time, you know, I'm very familiar with your career. Uh, you're a guy who's been rocking ultra since the 90s. I mean, you've had this 25 year career of doing this thing and have had plenty of successes along the way. But I gotta say, you're really having a moment right now, it's, right? It, it like it's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. Like you're having huge breakthroughs and winning races at a level that you know. I don't know. Would you have even thought this possible five years ago? Here you are at age 45, just absolutely crushing the game. What is going on? <laughs> it's amazing, honestly. Like when I think back to all the different stages, you know, starting off in 1996, which 25 years ago was my first ultra. And I would never have dreamed where I am today, going back 25 years ago. Yeah. Never, ever would have dreamed that. And just in the last, uh, even in the last five years, to be able to do the things we did this year, mm-hmm. it, it just, uh, it, it kind of have to like, just um, sometimes I don't feel like it's even real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a ball of energy, but it wasn't. I mean, how many weeks ago did you do uh, big, <laughs> the big dog? Big Dog's Backyard. I mean, that was in October, right? Yeah, it was uh, three and a half weeks ago. We right. had the, the uh, world championship of Big's Backyard, uh, last person standing event in the backyard of Laz Lake's uh, wilderness in Tennessee. So let's just start there. I mean, that's that race has come up in the past because we had Courtney in here who was talking about the last time that she you know, went around the loop with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, this year was a different affair. Um, for people that don't know, maybe explain the format of the Backyard 
ultra situation because it's very unique. Definitely, and Courtney is amazing, of mm-hmm. course, you know. So uh, the Backyard Ultra is basically a race where you do uh, half the races on the trail and half the races on the road. So it's a 4.167 mile loop. I like how and it goes down to the thousandth. Yeah, yeah, of, I know. Right? Mile. Yeah, and even your finishing little, thing is down inch, to the thousandth. Every inch, yeah. yeah, it's it's incredible. And this is wild because Laz actually dreamed this up when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. He had this idea and it didn't really come to uh, fermentation until like he was in his sixties. And so, I mean, it's it's a, it's a race that every 24 hours you're, you're running 100 miles, yeah. and you just keep on going until the last person can can run a lap. And as you're going, if you don't make it back to the uh, the loop uh, in 60 minutes, you're out. Or if you you don't start the loop after 60 minutes, mm-hmm. then you're out of the race. Right. So and you so, do this four four point one six seven mile loop on the hour every hour until literally last man is standing. Last man or woman. Yeah, last <laughs> yeah. man or woman, right? Yeah, it's it. yeah. It, I mean, you can take naps if you uh, finish fast enough to have like seven or eight minutes remaining or 10 minutes. Uh, you, you have to eat like a ton of food mm-hmm. and you have to keep your mind in the right place. And is, you could go as fast as you want. Obviously, the faster you go, the more rest you're getting. And as time wears on, you're slowing down. So that window starts to shrink. I mean, at the end, you're getting like 12 minutes or so of rest in between. So there's no sleep involved here. Like there's barely enough time to sit down and get something in your belly before you're up and at it again. Yeah, the the first year I ran it in 2017, it was completely novel. I had no idea what I was doing. And back then we didn't sleep, but now I really try to incorporate sleep because the further it goes uh, after like, the first night I can make it through without even caffeine, like drinking caffeinated right. drinks. You know, it's not really a big problem, but once you get in the second night and then the third night, you feel like a zombie at times, you know, you, you almost get to that, you get to those moments where you, you start to sleep for like a microsecond, like while you're running you, uh-huh. and you wake yourself up. Yeah, and, uh, so sleep has become an important component. And uh, on the nighttime loops, you can go faster than on the trail because it's on the road. Road. And yeah. I would make maybe uh, 48 minute loops uh, or out and backs. So I'd have 12 minutes where I could utilize like just eating as much as humanly possible in five minutes. And I would like lay down for maybe five or six minutes. And I'm able not really to, sure. Able I, to fall asleep? I didn't really fall asleep most of the time. I would just lay there, but uh, I kind of experimented with it. And I found that even laying down with your eyes shut for like five or six minutes is really powerful. It actually, it, it does revitalize you to mm-hmm. an extent, even if you can't fall asleep. Right, Courtney was talking about these one minute naps where she thought that she was asleep for like an hour and was pissed at her crew. Yeah. But felt totally refreshed after a literally, you know, closing her eyes for 60 seconds. That's not like, is that your experience <laughs> or no? Like, how do you train right. for this? Or like, what is the, do you, do you try to do this in your training? At, yeah, in yeah, this regard? year I did like, cause uh, last year that, that really impacted me not getting enough sleep. So this year what I did is like uh, during my lunch at school, I would take a five minute nap every day. Uh-huh. So I would just go into the, like I have this bigger closet I just lay down on a yoga mat and literally f- try to sleep for five minutes. So I got to a point where I was uh, two or three days of the five day week, I would fall asleep for, mm. for like three minutes, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild. 
But in the midst of the race, there's a lot of things happening. One, your heart rate gets elevated. Two, after the second day, you're, you're probably drinking some caffeinated drinks. So you're trying to play like an edge where you're, you're, you're trying to stay awake on your, your out and backs on the second and third night by drinking caffeinated drinks. But on the other hand, you wanna fall asleep. Uh-huh. And so it's like a tough <laughs> like uh, dilemma there. Right. And uh, it's, it, yeah, so I just, uh, I'm not really sure, like, because the way your mind works, uh, I'm not really sure if I was at, sometimes I would, I would drop into like some uh, level of sleep, but I just felt like my, my mind was continuously running. So mm-hmm. I would like be somewhat con- more conscientious. And you're always waiting to listen for lads blowing the whistle. Cause right. like, at, at three minutes, he blows the whistle three times and then two minutes, one minute. And so you're, you're, I have a really great, amazing crew chief uh, Judd Poindexter. And uh, so I, I was able to rely on him and I knew he would wake me up, but you still have like this, this anticipation that, oh, I gotta get up and get going. I've gotta like have everything organized. And it, there's a lot of temperature variation too. Like at nighttime, it gets cold and the daytime is mm-hmm. warm. And your body, it after like 200 miles, it, it doesn't uh, it do as well. You like can't with self-regulate. Yeah, yeah, you can't regulate the temperature as well. So, it ends up being, it's a wild experience, just pushing your body. That's what is special about this race is it really gives everyone the opportunity mm-hmm. to explore their limits. And the other thing is that it's, it's really a pretty interesting race to watch. Like, uh, you know, in a lot of ultras, you might have an idea of like the top two or three runners based on like the front field of a race. You know, if you're watching like uh, Western States mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, maybe one of those runners might drop out, but you kind of have an idea of who might be the top three or four. In this backyard ultra, everyone finishes the loop in a uh-huh. tied position. Right. So, I mean, going into the second day, you have no idea who's going to be the final yeah, runner. That's really interesting. It's like there's so much competition, you have no idea. You don't that know it's who's a poker feeling match. good or yeah, who's you have not no because idea it's just what, four miles. Yeah, no idea what cards the other runners are, are carrying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a poker game. It's a total poker match. But it yeah. ends up going off a cliff and becoming like squid game yeah, <laughs> at the right, end, right? Right, right, right? When people start dropping off. And like right. the guy, the second place guy, Chris Roberts, he got, I mean, he literally was with you until the last loop, but yeah. because he started a loop and didn't finish, it's a DNF. Like he doesn't even get second place. Yeah. Which is like it's super brutal. harsh. It's brutal, right? It's hard. It's Laz, <laughs> uh, Laz he, he is hilarious. But Laz always has some like element to mess with runners. Uh-huh. And so technically everyone that doesn't finish as a final runner is a DNF. So uh, even if he finished if he finished the loop and didn't start another one, would he get second or just everybody DNFs except the person who wins? Everyone DNFs. <laughs> <laughs> the person who wins. Yeah. There is no second place. Yeah, there's just, there's the that. last person and that's it. Exactly. Oh so my God. if you're trying to keep your DNFs down, it might not be the best uh-huh. format. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so funny. Well, I mean, Lazarus Lake, I mean, this guy is like an all-time world-class character. He is, he is on uh, such a high level of that. Like his, his philosophy is is just, it's so interesting to even spend time with him just because everything he says is so philosophical. Mm. And I mean, I love how the race is actually named after his, his dog. His dog, right, Biggs. yeah. And now he has a little dog, little has a, a race as well named after him. And uh, I mean, Laz, he, he is just, uh, he is, 
you think maybe from the outside that he's extremely masochistic or maybe he's got some sort of like a vendetta like to, to really be cruel to runners, but he does get some, some humor out of things. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, he really is interested in seeing, uh, he loves watching people work through those extreme challenges and he gets inspired by that. Where does that come from? I mean, he's not a runner himself. Yeah, right? he, he is actually going back into the day. So back mm. in the uh, 60s and 70s, you know, he was a big runner in Tennessee. And it's interesting because his dad was actually a NASA scientist. Mm. And he actually uh, worked on uh, the uh, uh, lunar module uh, coming off the moon. Wow! So uh, he's a really brilliant guy. And he, he has a ton of interesting history on his back. Um, but he's kind of taken that, uh, he's very particular about organization too. Like if you had talked to his wife, Sandra, like it's mm. so funny, he's got a certain way that every flag has to be rolled out. You know, everything has to be just perfect. And I mean, we're not even talking about Barkley yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know? I know, so we're like, getting there. Yeah, so he he is definitely, I admire him. I really do admire him for what he has uh, done, uh, you know, with the sport uh, and, uh, yeah, he's captivated people in so many ways that we can't even begin to describe. Yeah, I mean, he's know? sort of single-handedly like created a whole new genre of running. It's exploded. With the unfinishable yeah. Barkley, Barkley marathons right. and this whole backyard format, which yeah. he didn't invent it, right? But he sort of made it a thing here, at least in the United States. Yeah, he, he actually invented the oh, backyard. He did. Yeah, he, he invented did. that. Yeah. So it's now spread to over 62 countries and they have, I mean, hundreds of events. There's uh, right. over 13,000 people have participated mm-hmm. already. And I mean, it's really exploded in just the last five years, last four years, it's just just, it just grown yeah. by, by madness. I mean, the format makes it really fun. There's a gamesmanship to it. And I suspect from a race organi- organizer point of view, it's a lot easier to conduct than you know, a race that's traversing like a huge swath of land in a point to point kind of way. It's true, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it surprises me at times though, cause I'm like, I'll follow their Facebook page and I'll see like posts from Pakistan or Morocco. And I see uh-huh. like all these places where they're like formulating this race. And it's exciting to see that, I love that. It's yeah. also less intimidating if you're trying to dip your toe in the ultra world, cause you can just go and run four mile loops until you're done. It's yeah. not like, oh, I have to do a hundred miles or anything like that. You can just show up and do what you can. So it feels like a little bit more welcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is very much welcoming. And it's, it's nice because especially the first day, there's a lot of camaraderie. Right. So you I mean, it's, it's just like a big party. You get to like hang out and share stories. You know, uh, it's just, uh, it's just a, like a party on, yeah, in the wilderness and it's just moving around. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Well, it's a party until it's not. I mean, <laughs> you ran 354.1667. That's how specific this is, <laughs> miles, uh, which is 85, they call them yards, right? Each four, right. Each four plus mile loop uh, in 85 hours. Like I just, yeah. I can't even wrap my head around that. And it's so much further beyond anything that you had done um, in that format or even outside of that format. Yeah. Like it's a whole new threshold of experience for you. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, during the race, I actually 
you know, I went through a low part uh, around like mile, I think about 140 or 170 rather. Uh-huh. And uh, it's incredible because uh, I mean, I, was, I had like the, the uh, battle inside my mind, like the side that was not wanting to submit at all, but I had like a little bit creeping in that I thought of like, well, it would be nice to like, you know, just go relax in a hotel and mm-hmm. they'll put my feet up and like, how long is this thing gonna go for? So and you're only halfway in. Only, and I, I mean, didn't you know don't know that, that, that you're. Time. You don't know. That's the no thing. Idea. You don't know how long right. it's going to go. I had no idea at that time, and so to get through that dark place, I like share with my crew chief. And I mean, having a strong crew chief is really important in mm-hmm. this race. And I just like when I got back to the tent, I made sure no one else was nearby. And I just said real quietly to Judd, I said, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling through this a bit right now." And uh, he came up with a good idea. He's like, just visualize that you're running back and forth to work. Cause I, I run commute to work. Yeah. And so like, that was incredible because at that point I was really able to just go beyond it and then just focus on each loop and just imagine I was running back and forth to work. Mm-hmm. It was so easy at that point. Which is kind uh, of about the same distance, right? Three it's or four about, miles. Yeah, it's about the same distance. So it's incredible how just changing your mindset in like, can make such an impact. And I really didn't go through any other, I mean, I went through, it was tough in the, in the fourth day, but I didn't go through a point that was like as mentally, like where I was in a dark place like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then reframing it through that shift in perspective, like gave you this boost that carried you for another 170. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I know you one. had a crazy moment at 300, right? Right, right. That's a whole nother Yeah, let's talk about that. Topic. So, yeah, so basically once we got into that third night and uh, it kind of becomes like automatic and you're just like, you, you get yourself back to the tent, you're laying down for five minutes, you're eating as much as humanly possible and you're just lining up at the line again. And you're wondering like, how long are these people gonna go for? Right, But and you're, it's a poker game. You can't play your hand, right? You, you can't, can't let anyone know that no you're way. feeling down. Oh, no, 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 uh-huh. like that would be destruction. Yeah, so I mean, it's <laughs> like, yeah. So then you just, you just keep on playing it out. And, um, you know, during the third night, there was something that kind of hit me, I think. I just, I got very automatic with it. And uh, I felt, pretty strong, like I was just like dialed in that I was back to my game plan that, okay, I'm gonna go as long as this thing carries, it, mm-hmm. however long that might be. And, uh, you know, the, the Chris Roberts at that time was actually really, really struggling. Uh, the Japanese runner, runner, Mori Mori, he was looking strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris Roberts in, in the last three loops of the nighttime on the third night, he got to a point where he's actually running sideways. Like he was actually hip like skipping sideways. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I'm, I, was, I was really impressed by that. I'm like, man, this guy is staying in here because I was pretty sure he was gonna like tag out. He's got like three minutes left on his loop. And he's like, he is so serious to the point where he's willing to skip sideways to get himself down to the, which is not easy to do. Uh huh. Yeah, he never. So he literally he pivoted his he pivoted body because his, his knee went, was hurt. Right. Wow. And he literally skipped sideways. Uh-huh. I mean, I was like, "You're running sideways after like 200 <laughs> and some miles. These guys are never gonna give up either." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? So I said some lads. I'm like, lads, you know, none of the three of us are gonna submit. I said that like I think somewhere after like 300 miles. I'm like, 
it's just not gonna happen. He's like, <laughs> it's gonna happen eventually. Yeah, <laughs> one way or another, right? Right, right. So the year prior, when you were going tete-a-tete with Courtney, you you pooped out at 240 or something like that? 270. 277. Uh-huh. Yeah, 277, it should so be 281. When you came up on that kind of mile marker this time, what do you think? Like, how were you able to get to a different gear? Like, did you do something different in training? Is it experience? Yeah. Like, what changed? Uh, well, you know, I thought back to 2017 because that's when uh, Guillaume and I, uh, the French runner, we we both uh, were running. Uh, we ran like an additional day uh, beyond everyone else, and we uh, end up going to 241. And I I submitted at 241. That was the assist that year. And I thought about Laz back then, he said, he had, he had this big thing about saying, okay, I think you guys are gonna, someone's gonna make it to 300 miles. And like that year in 2017, it was the first year I did it. And so this idea of 300, it kind of got in my head. And I'm like, well, shoot, we're gonna get to 300 and neither of us are gonna wanna quit either. I gotta uh-huh. get back to teaching. And it just became this <laughs> like number that was like out there. And then uh-huh. last year with Courtney, I told Laz somewhere before I think three laps before I stopped, I'm like, Laz, we've got this. We're gonna beat a 300. There's no way we're stopping. And then sure enough, three laps later, my mind like wouldn't, it gave up. Like, so I felt at this race, I really didn't wanna like give up mentally. Like if I was gonna like uh, be be out, it was gonna be based on me not making it back in time. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, it, every other time I, I did this, when I submitted, it was because my mind, I had given up. It wasn't because I timed out. And so this race, I wanted, if I, if I didn't, if I was gonna go out, it was gonna be based on not making it back in the 60 minutes, right. not based uh, on like, oh, I don't think I can go any further. You know, cause last year with Courtney, you know, I, I thought it was, an, it was really amazing running with her number one. Like we were in a dynamic where we were supportive of each other, sure. which was really special. I mean, like, we both have a history with the 24-hour USA team, but like to work with somebody, it it makes it like just an amazing experience where you're like working for something greater. And it's like, uh, so yeah, last year I just got to this place where I was, uh, in my mind, I didn't think I could, I thought I was losing time on the laps and I didn't think I could make it many more laps. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, okay, I started to like hallucinate a bit more and I said, okay, this is, um, I think this is it. Uh, and so I gave up. Uh, so this year I've really trained my mind more to, to not submit. Like it's gonna, if I, if I go out, it's gonna be physical, not- And mental. what does that training look like? Like, is, it, is there a specific yeah. program or method to this Yeah, the, me- the method to the madness. <laughs> well, part helped that I did a backyard ultra in March mm-hmm. where I actually was the final person standing. And that was the first time I did that. And so we did that in the Ohio Backyard Ultra. It went to about 240 some miles. So that, that helped to have that victory on my back to, to understand what it's like to be the final person. And then leading up to this year, I did two races. I did, well, I did bad water, which helped always right, helps. Which little, you won. Little, little bad water. And then I did the uh, fans 24 hour race, uh, seven weeks out and the uh, I did the Superior 100 race five weeks out. So doing a road race and then <laughs> a trail race with 20,000 feet, uh-huh. like five weeks out, it, it helped, you know, including both dynamics. Um, 
but also conversation with my crew chief. Yeah, like we had we had it dialed down mm. in terms of what we wanted to do. I think that helps a lot. What is what are the 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 characteristics? or qualities that you look for, like what makes a great crew chief a great crew chief? Cause I think people yeah. um, really underestimate how crucial, you know, those people are who are supporting you. And, yeah. you know, many of us have had experiences like we get our friends to do it or, or you know, I've had my wife do it and my stepsons and, and it's great, you know, but they're not like dialed in as crew people and when, shit's going off the rails, like you want someone there who really understands what you're going through and can make sure that you're getting what you need. Yeah, I think it's so important. With uh, the crew, it's number one is a positive mindset. Like no matter what happens, they're going to have a mindset that's positive. So there could be crazy, crazy things happening and all anything you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And no matter what that is, their mind is gonna be positive. And they're gonna be looking through uh, problem solving. So problem solving is great. Having someone that is uh, loyal and has your, you know, they, that's huge, uh, that you feel comfortable with. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, they don't have to be an amazing runner at all, at, at all, not, not at all. It's more important that they are flexible, like they're, they're willing to like, uh, they're excited about it. It's mm-hmm. also important to have someone who's excited. I mean, you don't wanna have someone come out there is like, oh my God, I'll be out here for like, can you imagine? Like, I mean, that's a yeah. long time. Well, there's, I mean, there, you know, there's legendary time. stories about, you right. know, people bailing in the middle of Ram and all that kind of stuff, right? right? Like, wow, this is way more work than I thought. Like, yeah. and the crew's fighting and they're not getting along and the whole thing just craters. Yeah, it's it's important. So uh, I, I try to build the crew uh, months and months before the actual event. And I don't have crew for all my races, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but like on my A races, I, I definitely try to build that prior to going. So like Badwater, for example, is, is a fun race for the crew component. Cause you have the crew that is gonna basically follow you the whole 135 miles. And it's, it's so important to have a group that gets along together, mm-hmm. but also people bring different dynamics. To the, to the team. So someone uh, might be the person that does a lot of the miles, but you need someone who's extremely good at like logistics and organizing, you know, that's really important. And uh, you know, think outside the box. Like, I mean, it's, it's it, it, the crew is, is really important a lot of these ultras for yeah. sure. They gotta be five steps ahead they at do. all times. Do you like, like, for example, with Badwater, do you like it when someone's running with you all the time or do you like them to kind of bump and run or what's your what's your yeah. kind of mode? So for bad water, I definitely like having someone run with me. It's like after mile 42 now, you can have someone run with you all the way to the finish. Mm-hmm. And I like rotating it because after a while, uh, you know, I always want someone fresh. So I kind of feel like I take on their energy force. So if I get someone new in, it's like, I kind of feel their energy, even though I'm running in front of them and it's not like, pacing in the traditional sense or running behind you. It's like, I feel their energy force. And it's like, it helps me to go faster. Mm-hmm. So I like having a rotation. I love having someone with me uh, in bad water. It, it, it's just, you know, sometimes we're not even speaking, you know, it's just being out there mm-hmm. and running like a team. It's like, we're wild animals, yeah. you know, migrating across the plains. And uh, that's huge, it's a huge impact. So you're at mile 300 of bigs. Like I got to hear about this like hallucinatory Nirvana moment that you had. 
Yeah. So the, the this year, I would just say like uh, it it was kind of crazy because you know you go through these lows and highs, but going into three hundred, it just felt like we were invincible, almost like in uh, Mori Mori, the Japanese runner. Mm-hmm. He he just was fired up. We were both fired up. So once we got past 300, we started doing crazy things. And like uh, some of it was like strategic on my part, trying to like wear him down a little bit. Um, But some of it was just like impassioned, like just feeling like fired up and like, let's just go. Uh Uh, So we started doing things that you probably shouldn't do after 300 miles. Like we started running up the hill, like that we've been walking up since day one. And then we started sprinting through the camp like again, everyone fired up, like just kind of ridiculous things. And sometimes we just like start running super fast through the woods in places we probably shouldn't where you'd like crash. Uh-huh. So uh, it was, and we just, sometimes we'd be hollering, like we just start yelling, like not, not in like aggressive way towards each other, but just because we were fired up yeah. and like excited about it. Like, so it was, it was wild uh, to hit that, that mark and then feel all kinds of new energy. Like, I mean, I felt in sometimes more energy than I felt the whole race at like loop two. Right, like, I just felt going more energy. some crazy gear yeah, that you didn't even know that you had. Not even know that you had, like that was what was so special about it. Cause you, you get beyond 300 miles and then you realize, wow, there's these like, like you have more force than you ever had even in the first day. You're like, where does this come from? Yeah, like where does it come from? I mean, what do you make of that? It was like for somebody who's pushing the envelope to such an extreme and has been doing this for so long, you'd think you kind of know at this point, like where that limit sits. And yet you have this huge, I mean, it wasn't like you went four miles longer than you did last year. Like you just exploded the ceiling on probably what you, I mean, 300 being the mark. And then you go so much further past that. And I really didn't think Chris was gonna even submit it like when he did at 354 mm-hmm. or 350. Like I thought, actually I thought we're definitely going through the whole night here. Cause we, it's, it's just pretty much once you, the road is easier. So as long as you can overcome the sleep deprivation, you don't have like a serious injury. You can usually just make that, that out and back uh-huh. in the time. Uh, and so we were making it with plenty of time. Uh, if it weren't for his knee injury, I think we would have gone a lot further. Right. Too. And once he submitted, are you allowed to keep going or no, that's, you, that's it? It's, it's no, it's like against right. the, the ethics of our yeah. race. So you only go one more loop. Right. So even if you, do you feel like you could have kept going? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah that, I was definitely dialed in for the remainder of that night. And that wow. would have been challenging. Going back on the loop course in the, the fifth day would have been interesting because I don't know how I would have adapted. Yeah. But then again, you never know. And nothing's guaranteed. Right. Right. So I mean, something can change. Uh, it can change fast. And so you're always trying to just focus on that loop in front of you. Right. Just one loop at a time. That's and it. you took a if people are watching on YouTube, they see the brace on on your right hand. I mean, you took this spill, right? Yes. You fractured your hand, but you yes. couldn't let any you couldn't like no. evince any outward facing pain, right? You didn't no, wanna <laughs> No, 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 no way, no yeah. way. Not until the finish. You can't I, telegraph I, I shook any weakness. Hand and I was like, oh, that's not good. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, one thing I do actually in races, uh, I don't know how unique it is, but I always like in my A races, I always take on like a spirit animal. Mm-hmm. And so for this race, 
my, my spirit animal was a honey badger. And right. so I watched that video, it has 4 million views. <laughs> yeah. And I was serious about it. When I was going into the race, I was like, I'm a honey badger. So it doesn't matter what happens, I'm gonna still run. Right. So, you know, on the fourth day, a honey badger fall down on the rocks. It doesn't matter, you just right. get up, keep on running. Yeah, at that, that point, the fourth day, actually, I got to a place where I was, it was tough. Like the fourth day is hard. Like last didn't really expect people to do that. And it's the, you got, uh, it's, it warms up. I mean, it's not like really hot, mm-hmm. but I mean, even like 70 degrees after you've been running for, you know, three plus days, it just uh, takes more energy. And yeah, I got a little bit dehydrated. Uh, doing the running with Maury, Maury, just doing that crazy running probably didn't help things either. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Roberts was sitting back thinking, man, you guys are gonna kill each other. Yeah. And like, I'm fine with this. But, but Maury like passed out, right? He went yeah, unconscious. Unfortunately, yeah, he actually literally fell like uh, in, in close to, I think it was uh, maybe 346 miles. He literally fell and knocked himself out like for, like 20 seconds or mm-hmm. something, but it was enough to just put him over the edge. Yeah, he didn't make it back. He missed a cutoff by maybe a minute or two. Uh, so yeah, it, it it's it's kind of a crazy race. It, yeah. it definitely is a crazy race, uh, but it's exciting because of uh, just the, all, all the different aspects of it. There, there's a lot of psychology in the race as well as the physiology mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I was surprised. Like, honestly, I didn't feel anything in my hand. Like, it, I knew I did it. Cause when I fell, I had no energy. Usually I fall. I felt the first day I felt like three times. Mm-hmm. I don't think I fell the second day at all, but I literally fell enough. It'd be easy spots. Like where I was like, just looking off or talking to someone. But when I fell, I had zero energy to catch myself or to roll. And I just came right down on the, the hand. I knew uh, right away I did yeah. something to it, but I was like, well, it's it's not like essential, you right. know. I can gonna, keep on we'll, running. We can deal with that later. I checked my knee; knee was fine, no problem. Just mm-hmm. keep on going. Right. It's sort of like that Roger Bannister thing of breaking the four-minute mile, right? Like once somebody once he does it, then all kinds of people do it. People have struggled to eclipse the three hundred mile mark. There is that. I mean, you broke the world record that was set on an easier course in the UK, right? That was three hundred. I don't know, 20 or something like that. Yeah, John Stocker right. had said that in the UK. So it's not like no one had ever gone over 300 before, but here you have three guys who are all competing against each other, but also supporting each other to kind of break that ceiling. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Like, yeah. oh, that's possible? Like, okay, are we going for 400? Is that what's right. happening now? Like, right. you know, yeah. who knows? It's absolutely true. Like, mm. I don't think the record's gonna stay there that long. Yeah. Uh, the the rate, what is special about it is that it did happen on Laz's backyard and his his uh, event, it is tougher. Like it's it's got more technical elements right. to the course. There's more like elevation climb, but there's a lot of variety. Like they've, they've now done these backyards in like Mexico where they have like a thousand feet per mm, lap, you wow. know? So, I mean, it's like nuts. Uh, there's a lot of variety, but this was a tougher course to set that record on. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. Like Does, it's gonna be like crazy. Like where, yeah. where is it gonna go? I and, mean, and, have they done one on a track just to see uh, how far you can do? No, like what, like creating the optimal conditions for like a crazy record. They, it, I don't know about it's a track. Kind of not yeah. really it's not the really, spirit yeah, it's of not the, the spirit thing. of it. Yeah. It'd be better to have it like in, incorporate like mm-hmm. trails as well yeah. as the road. Mixing yeah. the 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 flip flop between trail and road, did you find that 
helpful because you got a little variety. I mean, mentally, I would think it would be good. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's wild because uh, you you get to a place where you get tired of one, and uh-huh. you're like, oh god, I you can't wait till I get back to the road. To go. Yeah. yeah, so when you got like mm-hmm. two or three loops to go, you're like, oh my god, two more loops, and I'll be back on the road. I can survive forever. Mm-hmm. And then when you get back on the road and you're like out there for like nine hours in the dark, and we had an amazing full moon. I mean, there was coyotes like howling. It was really special, like nighttime. But nevertheless, after nine or ten hours of you're out there by yourself, like because I, I wasn't running with Mori Mori or Chris, we we're just out and back. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of time to to yourself to have thoughts uh, yeah. within yourself. And it it definitely you you're you're so thankful when you get back to the to the trail. You're right. like, oh, thank God, back Can to the you- trail. Put anything in the ears, or yeah. you have to go. Do you do you listen to stuff? Or? Yeah, you can listen to music on the the road portion, and I find that very helpful. Uh, Laz doesn't allow it on the trail, you uh-huh. know, like unless it's like the final two runners, final two three runners, then he doesn't really mind. Mm. But he doesn't want to have it on the trail when there's like many people out right. there. You can have like uh, you got past people and stuff like that on a little single track. Mm-hmm. So the music is really powerful because it kind of uh, if I am feeling discomfort, it numbs that. Yeah. So I don't take any painkillers uh, like ever. Like I mean, I haven't taken any since like I I broke my neck back in two thousand four, and uh, when I'm in the yeah so having the music actually helps me to put my mind somewhere else. If I am feeling like just total fatigue or discomfort, just listen to music is like, it's really nice to have it on the nighttime. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust 
far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the nutrition strategy like? Like, how are you keeping calories down after all that time out there? Like, what's the fueling like? Well, you just have to uh, look at it as like, this is all you can eat buffet and be so thankful that you can eat all the food in the world. But it's really important to eat like uh, probably 500 calories, 400, 500 calories an hour. That's a lot. It's a lot lot to keep down. Yeah, it is. And that's actually where the plant-based foods really helps out. Uh, because I feel like I'm able to digest a lot of food, like a ton of food and drinks Mm -hmm. uh, without having, like I I very, very rarely have any sort of like uh, upset stomach Mm -hmm. in races. It's like extremely rare. So what's the combination of kind of performance nutrition, like the, you know, high calorie drinks versus real food and what does the real food look like? Right, so I would drink Tailwind uh-huh. But I also had diversity, so I would have like, uh, I'd have like soda as well, 
I had like coconut water, which was really nice. Uh, and then I'd have like things like from fruit, like watermelon, mm-hmm. blueberries, to uh, squeezable fruits, uh, to soups and like vegan mac and cheese. I'd have like, uh, um, I mean, Judd was actually really good about making up food. That's another thing about yeah. your crew chief. Like with this race, you're only allowed one crew chief or one person is crew. So it's really important to have someone who is able to make up food for you that knows a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, he's not vegan, but mm-hmm. he's really good. I mean, he, he makes, he, he oftentimes makes me special like things and brings it to the race. Right. I'm like, man, thank you so much. <laughs> so the, you're not getting 500 calories an hour on fruit. That's no, coming through tailwind no, no, yeah. and through mac and cheese yeah. and stuff like and that. And also like Abe's muffins from Whole Foods. I grabbed a bunch of those. Right. I mean, those are like actually, believe it or not, it's like 400 calories or some 300 uh-huh. calories per little like muffin. So I mean, I would, and chips. Uh, so I mean guacamole and uh, I'm eating a lot of things that aren't like healthy to eat on a daily basis, you know, like just high calorie items. And I'm not really looking too much at like, you know, my protein content. It's more like uh, want to get complex carbohydrates yeah. rather than just simple sugars. Like I definitely am getting a ton of simple sugars, uh, but I'm also getting complex mm-hmm. carbohydrates too. So, I mean, everything like pastas, soups, things are easy to digest. Like I'd have like uh, like mashed potatoes and vegetable broth mm-hmm. mixed together. And that was really easy to, to digest. And especially if it's hot out, like then you wanna think about things that are, that are easier to digest. Then right. at nighttime, I could eat like the heartier items. Right. Yeah. Um, no stomach upset? No stomach That's upset. Amazing. Yeah, it's wild. Cause you th- that that it, gets the best of them. Yeah, it's you know? it's huge. It's like the the ultra like ultra has maybe you know there's like ten or twelve major components I can think of that are really important elements to a race. Like pacing, pacing is huge, uh, but nutrition is definitely one of the top ones. And like being able to just eat a like a a, a bean burrito and then just take off. Like that's a huge advantage yeah. to be able to digest that while you're moving and running. It's a big advantage. Yeah, But also ultras are famous for like, oh, I, I'm just gonna eat pizza and like, you know, all kinds of candy and crap and stuff right. like that because I'm burning all these calories out there. And then people, you know, start barfing and having the runs and all kinds of stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where not having the dairy in there really helps a lot too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, I, it's, I mean, I can name it like maybe three or four times in the last five years where I've actually gotten sick in ultra. That's it, like right. literally like three or four times. And usually I can explain what happened in each of those instances. Yeah. Have yeah. you, uh, I have to ask you, yeah. have you talked to Courtney about this? Uh, this she has one? her, nor- noto- oh. she's sort of no- notorious oh, for like oh, her- the nachos her, and cheese. Yeah, yeah like yeah, all yeah, the stuff yeah. that she eats. Right, right, right. And you know, she occasionally has like a stomach issue in her races, right? Yeah. And I'm like there's yeah. RVs right well, over there. I, I love Courtney. So, I mean, I'm like very respectful <laughs> about- Of course, what, what, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I'm not taking anybody's yeah, yeah, inventory no, no, on this. No, no. Like she's in a, yeah. on a different planet. Yeah, so it's is, like, is like, knock yourself out, Courtney, whatever works for you. Exactly. So only love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be clear. I usually, I, yeah, I, I usually am kind of careful about how I, how I like if someone asks me, then I'll share. Mm-hmm. But I don't usually like uh, like I'm, I mean once in a while I do, but um, you know we do share ideas. A lot of times, like on the 24 hour team, you know we'll have something that works really well, and like the other runners will pick up on it. You know, so 
Um, I, I imagine I'd love to co- collaborate with her more in the future. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, uh, but I haven't really said a whole lot to her about it. Yeah, <laughs> I can play with her. Yeah, completely. She's so. I like, wouldn't either. Yeah, you know, no, she's got her yeah. like nachos and cheese that she loves. Right. And, if that's working yeah, for her, right. awesome. You know. Yeah. So. Let's maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of d- dive a little bit deeper into the whole vegan thing. I mean, you've been, you went 100% plant-based in like 2016. Yes. And yes. so talk me through like what that was about and why you made that switch and what you were doing beforehand. Right, so going back in time, I've, I've actually been vegetarian since uh, 25 years ago when I first picked up Ultras at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that was just a, a revolution in my life. Like, uh, just because I, I felt a transition just overnight. Like, just like, uh, I went from being like Chunk and Goonies, like mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the chubby kid growing up and uh, not being like uh, one of the top runners at all. In fact, I was usually one of the, the, final, the last runners to finish races. And so, yeah, I think it took you like you, it, you've said, like it took you years and years and years to break five hours in the marathon. Yeah, it took me five years to actually break five uh-huh. hours in the marathon. Now, I did get started young, like at, at right. 15, but you know, it's kind of it's amazing for me mentally just to think about the, the like chiseling through the little wall, you know, like the Conte Monte Cristo, just all the little walls I had to chisel through to get here. I mean, you've been chiseling yeah. for a long time. I mean, yeah, it's time. like, you yeah. are like the ultimate, like Harvard Business School test case in like persistence and consistency. Yeah. You know, yeah, 25 years you, of relentless. I mean, you you really haven't taken a break, right? Like you've just no. been doing this full speed. I mean, you have a full-time career and we'll talk about yeah. that, but you know, this has been your life for a very long time, which is why I kind of opened it with the question of like, how are you having this break? You would think like you plateau, Right. And it would just kind of balance out. And you're like, okay, this is where I sit in the pecking order of things, especially in the ultra world where it's kind of notorious, particularly with men, where the elite level of their performance seems to have a pretty short shelf life, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. see people who burst onto the scene, they win everything for a period of two or three years or four years or something like that, and then really struggle to kind of match those results. Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh it's been incredible. Like it's been an incredible year. But uh there's a few things that happen in, in my formula and uh one is always keeping it fun. So like I, I just love what it what it is. Like I, I really genuinely love running ultras and I love the adventure, I love the meeting the people. I mean, the opportunities I've had, like coming here today is incredible. Cool like I mean, it's been incredible. So I love the the spirit of what it is. Uh, so keeping it fun is really important. Like, and then listening to your body. So I, I think that's a really key component. So I don't have, I'm flexible. Like I know like coming off of Biggs, now I'm getting ready for Barkley, mm-hmm. but I don't have like a, a coach. I don't have like a set program, which is interesting and comparable to Courtney. Like mm-hmm. she'll tell you too, she doesn't have like a set routine of like what she's right. doing. It's based like, we're very similar on that domain because I'll just go out and run. Like this morning I went out and ran, I didn't have any measure of how far I was gonna go. It just depended on how I felt. And so like listening to your body and going by that, while you have like goals for each week or each month, it really helps you to be flexible. So being flexible and listening to your body mm-hmm. and uh, also different specializations. So I, I like getting out and running like a 5K. 
you know, I'm, I'm not gonna likely right. win that race. You know, I'm, sometimes I might in a local race, but I'm, I'm likely to finish like 10th or 12th or who knows what. It doesn't matter because I'm pushing myself in that area. So not getting caught up into, I have to do only this particular type of thing, you know, getting into swimming, you're doing whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like being able to diversify is super powerful as well. Because if, if you're able to run a 5K better or you're able to get out there and swim a mile, that's gonna make you stronger when you come back to the event you really excel in. Mm -hmm. And that'll make you stronger in the event you excel in. Yeah, you're pretty diverse in terms of distances and terrain. I mean, you've, you're a 245 marathoner, right? Yeah. And you can yeah. throw down for a 10K all yeah. the way up. I mean, usually the people who are excelling at the super long stuff, that's the thing they do. They're yeah. not, I mean, there's exceptions to that. I mean, like Jim Walmsley is like yeah, exactly. rewriting the record right. book on, right. on what's possible in that regard. But you are really, you know, kind of resilient and capable across, you know, a multitude of specific disciplines within running. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I think going back some time, I think people kind of had me pegged as like a road runner. Uh -huh. Yeah, like they thought, oh, Harvey does bad water. He does a 24 hour team. Yeah, he's not like a, an ultra, uh, trail runner, but I actually really love both. Yeah, and like Biggs but gave me the opportunity to show, yeah. show that, that I love, I love trails as well. It's just uh, people maybe assume because I, I live in Ohio, you know, it's like, we right. don't have like the, the big mountain trails that you have like in the Rockies or out in the Sierras. And you haven't and, done uh, Western States or UTMB. Yeah, Those are yes, the two things right, that kind of right, stand right. out like, where's Harvey? I know, it's kind of wild. Like yeah. uh, UTMB, I've been out there twice, like with uh, other people I've taken out and just run the, the loop and it's beautiful. And I, I'd, I'd love to run both those races, of course. And uh, Western States is just like, that's so tough to, to get in the lottery. So actually this year was the first year I applied. Really? Yeah, I did actually like, uh, so I'm thinking maybe, you know, maybe about 10 years from now, I'll get in, <laughs> we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. I think, yeah, we'll see. I think you'll probably find a way to get into that race sooner uh, rather than later. We'll, we'll see. But yeah. the original question that I, we got sidetracked here was, it was kind of exploring the, the plant-based, you know, pivot you were talking about. Um, going vegetarian earlier in life. I mean, that was, it feels like that was more of an ethical compulsion at the time. Yeah, yeah, it was actually, uh, it, was, it was kind of a storm that hit me, like because my mom had a stroke uh, in 1995. And uh, that, I, I just kind of had a reflection on like what we had been doing growing up. I mean, mm. my mom was a nurse. She was only like 54 at the time. Oh, she wow. survived, but it was catastrophic. Like, I mean, mm. she lost uh, movement on her one side and she also lost uh, speech. So, I mean, her speech is uh, really impacted. Mm. I mean, fortunately she's still alive and she, she's living independently. And I mean, she's amazing, like for, for having that endurance through those difficulties of not being able to speak, but knowing what she wants to say, you know, and, and surviving all those years. Wow. But that, that really made me reflect on like what I was doing, uh, you know, in, in Ohio. I mean, what was I eating in Ohio? Like what I grew up eating that I thought was like the healthy thing to, to, to do. And also I had like going back to when I was, I guess maybe a junior in high school, I had like this sort of epiphany that I, I did make this connection. I was like going through, Thing McDonald's, and I was thinking about like just uh, you know where the food actually comes from, and I think I, you know we're really disconnected we're from our our uh, where the food comes from, 
And I was thinking about the soldering and all that. And I just really didn't want to be part of it. But it only lasted for like a day or maybe mm-hmm. even like half a day. And I just didn't know where to go with that. Like I had no, no one was vegetarian in my school mm-hmm. uh, that I was aware of. And uh, there was no options at the line, like the lunch, the lunch line. So I was like, where do I go with this? So I had that original thought, but I didn't have any legs to run with it. And then when I was uh, a sophomore in college, you know, after my mom had the stroke that summer, I I finally said, you know, I need to like actually make uh, you know in an effort to like research this and mm-hmm. find out. And that's when I started like transitioning. I just went over to eating vegetarian, and uh, so. Yeah, it, it's uh, the last five years. I finally came to, in 2016. I've been wanting to do it for a long time, but I thought, what am I doing? Why, why do I still like? Why am I still avoiding this? Like, mm. what is it? And it was out of convenience. Like, I thought it was going to be an an inconvenience for other people, for me to go vegan, or maybe it would be difficult with my like travels. I love to travel around the world. Maybe that would affect me. Um, but uh, basically, I thought, you know, this is I've 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 want to do this. I've got to do it, and I just said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna set this, and and then after like literally like I think maybe ten days, I was like, what? Why did I not do this like uh-huh. years ago? Like it's so easy. And did you I didn't feel, feel a like, difference? I don't know that I felt like um, in ten days like an incredible change because I already felt pretty good mm-hmm. um, with eating vegetarian. But definitely within a matter of months, like I noticed like changes, like just, uh, I would say my performances, like I had my fastest marathon ever, like uh, in 2018. Yeah, so that was my fastest marathon ever. Uh, And I like noticed that I was getting faster after that case. Right. Yeah. So, you attribute, I mean, I, I, this is attributable to just improved recovery, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that the biggest get. thing. Yeah, right. thanks. So what I found is that my speed of recovery is ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, like, for example, I did that uh, 24 hour fans race, seven weeks before Biggs. 13 days later, I did the, and I, I, I end up, it ended up being a 19 hour race because we had like this crazy lightning storm. I ran, I think over 120 miles in, in 19 hours. And then 13 days later, I did the Superior 100 with like 20,000 feet of climbing. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of it, it crazy. What is your like, like monthly mileage? Uh, it's not nuts. Like honestly, oh, come I, on. I, no, I really, truly, I end up averaging like a hundred miles uh, a week, uh-huh. roughly. Um, but when you're packing like a bunch of those yeah. races and I mean, that's the real training for the bigger races, right? Like yeah. the, the races themselves are part and parcel of the training. Yeah, like, I mean, I have A races. Those are the ones I'm just, like all forces in, I'm actually gonna taper for. And now I have like B and C races. Uh-huh. The C races are like, okay, there's a race this weekend. I've like done zero taper. I've run a hundred miles this week. I'm gonna go run this. It's good training. You know, um, but it's important not to overdo it. Like, I mean, that's really like, I don't typically do races 13 days apart. Uh-huh. I might do that once a year. Uh, running like this year, I've run seven ultras. And that's, and I've run maybe like 10 other races or like marathons to like three, uh, 3.1. Uh, so 
a, it's important because if you if you run an ultra every three weeks or two weeks, you're just not going to survive. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you're you're going to end up burning your your passion out, or you're going to end up uh, just like hurting yourself mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. So I mean, it's important to think about. Like, sure. Yeah. Sure. But you do this string of ultras kind of back to back. And the point you were making really is just the benefits of eating plant-based allowed you to kind of bounce back in a way that you hadn't prior. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I mean, amazing. it's just incredible. Like uh, a lot of people traditionally might say, oh, you need X number of protein, grams of protein a day, or you need this and that. Um, but by just eating a balance of variety, uh, eating like healthy whole food-based items, it's it's incredible how quickly you can get your body to recover. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when I was in my 20s and my 30s, I can remember feeling like aches in my, my legs or just like fatigue that lasts a long time. And now it's like crazy, but it, it doesn't last long. Even after doing bigs, I mean, I left bigs that was kind of a wild experience because after I finished, I really didn't want the event to end. Like I was just, it, it was so much fun to have that, like something I dreamed about for years, like come to flourishion. It was just incredible. I mean, I just felt like it was it was too exciting to end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I literally just slept in the tent that night that was like 20 meters away from the, the right. finish line. But the next uh, day I ended up like driving back to Cincinnati. Uh, I didn't get back to like 11 p.m. And I like went out and did my mile run because I have like a run You're streak, on a streak going. right? Yeah, run streak going. So you get home at eleven yeah. and you went for you went running. Went for a mile run, and then my student teacher, <laughs> his his wife uh-huh. is, or fiance is an a ER doctor. So he, she said, "Hey Harvey, you should go to the you know University Hospital uh-huh. and get this checked out." So after the mile run at midnight, I went over and got my hand X-rayed. And then uh, I was there for a few hours. They had some good laughs with me. Uh-huh. And I, I, I got back home. I ran to work the next day, like uh, at like, I don't know, like seven or something like that. So, and it was wild just running to work. I felt pretty good. Like, I mean, I, I, I felt that I ran, you know, a good distance, but it's like that process of healing had already like started to really happen. And it, it happens really fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do your students think? About all this, oh, like, man. what's the vibe? Like, I want to do a vibe check. Like, They're amazing. At work. Uh, they, like, they, do they have a concept of like what's actually going on? They, they, there's, there's a lot of variety there. Uh, you know, they, they're super supportive. Uh, I have this um, just amazing group of students. At SEPA is a really neat school. It's like K through 12 public art school, mm-hmm. and so we're we're. You know, our kids, they all have majors in the arts. Some are ballet, some theater, you know, it's like all over the place. So they have incredible energy already and they're already doing so many amazing things. So for me to be doing this is just kind of like, I just fit in like they're already doing their own. Right. Like we have a major musical happening right now, Greece. Right. And, uh, but they, they do kind of like get excited about it and they're like, they're kind of like you ran how far? Right. <laughs> you did what? Like that's to like that's like to Michigan. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what is that? Where is that? <laughs> I don't understand. What did you do? Uh huh. Yeah. So are there sports teams at the high school? Uh, we have like a basketball cheerleading. It's not uh, a, it's, ever running club that organized. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's not like a sports. Right. Yeah. It's like, a different it's kind of arts. school. All yeah, kind of arts. Yeah, yeah. They're amazing artists. Yeah. So everybody's really eclectic and into different oh, kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You would love it. You would absolutely. If you get through Ohio, we. 
would love to have you as a guest speaker. At our I would school. love to come. My yeah. my eldest daughter uh, is a senior at the LA version of that, like ah. at the, the you know the LA uh, Performing Arts High School here. That's neat. Yeah. What was her major? Uh, visual arts, so painting and sculpture. Oh, yeah. So amazing. So I love that stuff. She's you know we 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 went back east and we're looking at art colleges and stuff like that. That's what she that's, wants to do. That's so, so incredible. So yeah, I watched some videos of you kind of at your school and stuff like that, and I was like, yeah, Thank it's you. very similar to uh, to my daughter's school. That's so so cool. I think I, I, yeah. I get the I get the vibe. It's a, they're yeah. they're special places. They're different than mm. typical high schools, yes. and the kids are all so unique. Yes, they yeah. are. It really is. I get a lot of positive energy from my students. There's no doubt about it. I mean, mm. it's like a two-way street, like I give, but I also get, I probably get back a lot more than I give for sure. Right, so that that kind of leads me into this thing I was curious about because I, I suspect along the way, you've probably had opportunities or been tempted to just be a professional runner, like get a shoe contract and they pay you equal or maybe even more than you're getting paid as yeah. a teacher and you could just do the thing, right? But right. clearly you're getting nourishment out of your profession in a way that that doesn't make sense for you. Yeah, yeah. I always like to joke with my, my fiance, Kelly, uh, who's, who's also an amazing part of my life. I mean, she gives me a lot of energy as well, but she's a teacher as well. And I always joke like, well, if, if I don't play the lottery much, maybe once every five years, but if I play the lottery and it's like millions and millions of dollars, I'm like, if I win this lottery, I'm still gonna go back to teaching. I'm still teaching. Right. Like, I'm not leaving teaching if I win the lottery. Now maybe I, do something special with the money, um, you know, create some scholarships or something at my school. But uh, yeah, I'm not leaving it. Like I, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's a, a lot of fun. Uh, so cool. uh, it's not, it's it's something that I have my challenging days. There's no doubt about it. Like definitely we have our, our tough days too, but uh, overall there, there's a lot of, uh, it, it, it's an incredible experience to be able to work with young people mm. when they're at that crossroads in life and they're like, Okay, where do I want to go next? Like I'm, I'm 16, 17. I have like the juniors and seniors. So where do I want to go next with my life? Like where, which, where, what pathway do I want to take? Yeah. And it's kind of neat to be there at that moment and get to like guide them a little bit, um, but also just it's an exciting, exciting life period. You know? Yeah, that's cool. That's so refreshing to hear how much you enjoy doing it. Like it just makes me feel hopeful. That's about great. humanity, you know yeah, what I mean? Thank like you. I appreciate the fact that. that, like, you're like, yeah, I would do this no matter what. Like, I don't know, man. That's cool. Those kids are, are lucky to have somebody like that, like thank you. you. Thank you, you know? very much. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If, like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. 
But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So during the week, you have this thing where, you know, it's partially training, but also partially kind of sustainability minded that you're, you know, a human powered commuter. You got this three mile trek to and from work. So you run, you run to work, you run to the school in the morning and then you run home. And during the week, that's kind of like your training. I'm sure you go longer on some days versus others, but like you're at the school all day. So it's not yeah. like, as this ultra runner, you're going out and running, you know, 40 miles every single day or anything like that. Like I, right. I, I suspect it's rather contained like during the weekdays. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really important part of my training. Like I run basically three miles of work, uh, but it, a lot of days it ends up being like longer. You know, two or three days a week, I might run like eight or 10 miles uh-huh. uh, back and forth. And it's a really nice way to to get the, get the day going. I mean, like, it, it gives me a chance to reflect on what's happening for for the day, like what I wanna focus in on. And uh, and I think having that, it, it, having that energy, it kind of prepares you for being like a speaker or being interacting with students. And then at the end of the day, if you had a rough day, it definitely helps as well. Cause I mean, it's like running is therapy. I mean, mm-hmm. so it like, you have a chance to think about, okay, what happened with that student? What could have I done differently with that situation that would have worked better? Or where, where should I like, maybe what should I do with class next week? You know, so I have those thoughts, but I also have thoughts like, you know, maybe it was just a challenging day or maybe I'm exhausted. Like in running home, literally like, again, reinvigorates mm-hmm. me to like transition to like that second part of life. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to leave like stresses that are work-related at work and not carry them with me. And I think that's a powerful tool running is like, it's free virtually. And it's like such great therapy for us. Yeah. I mean, no matter what your situation is, having that running is, is a really powerful thing. The other thing about it is I, I run with a backpack. So I'm running with a little weight uh, for you know 30 plus miles a week. And that, that definitely helps. And uh, Cincinnati has some hills. So I get a little hill training in. How do you avoid injury? Yeah, it's, uh, I've got, well, I've got Mr. Miyagi. Uh, right, that, you were telling one, me about this guy. Yeah. I'm ready to get on a plane and go visit this guy. You're invited, like you can <laughs> stay at my place. Uh, it's only like a half a mile away. Um, but Andy Shetterly does active release therapy. And uh, you know, there, 
people can seek out, you know, sports massage or physical therapy and things like that. But uh, I've just found it really powerful. Like I typically will see him uh, three times a month. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm having ever an issue, like I'll just go see him like twice in like a week and he, he can usually fix it in two, t- two visits. Right. Like super so, painful uh, ART. ART. Can be. Oh yeah, yeah. So we, it's not painful at all. Like we, we keep it like uh, on a scale one to 10, like a four or five. Like we, mm-hmm. we believe it's like, it's better. His practice is better to just like have a little bit of an impact on like, breaking up scar tissue or whatever it is without making it painful. So I never do like, I'm not into mm, like pain. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've I mean, had a few pretty painful crazy, but, ART sessions. Like right, they know no. right where to go. Yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like excruciating. Yeah, but it's- In a good way, like it you is. need it and you always feel amazing afterwards, but- It's one of those key components. Uh, sleep is another one. So, I mean, I think I really believe in, in sleep. And uh, I think it's important, like if you look at, you know, the top marathoners in the world, like they actually are getting like nine or 10 hours of sleep and a nap in a day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I wasn't working, like I would probably take a nap every day too. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's a great thing. But uh, yeah, it's, I think getting seven or more hours of sleep is really important, like as important as whatever you're doing physically. Right. Like I think it's really important to you. And you're, you te- government is what you teach, right? Yeah, I teach government, AP government. Uh-huh. And uh, that's why I was really, I was excited to listen to uh, Andrew Yang and uh-huh. your podcast with him. Yeah, what do you uh, think? Are you in the Yang leaders. gang? Well, I, I was very intrigued by him. And I, I love his energy. I think he brings a, a strong dynamic that we need. I feel like we need that voice. Yeah. And I know I, I have students that are, yeah, I've had students that are attracted to you know him as well as like a candidate, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think it's um, it, it's uh, it, we need a change. We need a we definitely need a change in America. There's no doubt yeah, about it. We, I mean, we need like uh, some positive energy infused, and that's one of the things with running. Like, I really like the fact that running brings us together. It's like. I don't think about someone as being Republican or Democrat. I have friends of, of both extremes. And it's like running, when we run, I mean, sometimes we get on topics and we're like, okay, let's switch the topic here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, I, I, I like that running brings us together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it has an amazing power to do that, you know, to just unite the best of us and bring us together in a way that few other things can. And it's beautiful for that and for so many other things. But, you know, one of the reasons I asked you about teaching government um, is that you've done a couple cool things with your running that I think are really unique, you know, in and outside of the ultra space. Like you went and ran Gandhi's Salt March in 2008, and then you did the Selma to Montgomery route in 2009. So it's this cool way of, Applying, you know, a, a really practical civics lesson mm-hmm. and and melding it with your running to like have a have like a boots on the ground experience of what those historical, you know, occurrences must have felt like. Absolutely, yeah. It's I, I really believe in like experiential learning. So I mean, I would love to take every one of my students to Selma to do the, the Selma trail mm-hmm. every year. I mean, that would be incredible, but we're limited by time and resources. So having the opportunity to go down there with a group of 10 friends, uh, the second time I went down there and like to bring that back and like share that with students. When I was down there the first time in 2000, I think it was a seven, 
uh, I got to actually meet with civil rights leaders and uh, like uh, wow. Mother Cooper, uh, Amelia Boynt Robinson. Mm. Uh, these folks were were just like reaching a hundred years of age. And like, so to get a chance to like actually speak with them and interview them about their experiences, Harry Belafonte, uh, to, to, wow. to chat with these people and, and, and really get pieces of the story that you don't read about in the textbook, that was powerful. Like to bring that back and share that with my students and say, look, you know, um, this is what I heard from you know, Mother Cooper and her experience with the sheriff, you know, uh, what it was like when they were trying to overcome, you know, the, the literacy tests. And like, I mean, that just makes it, it, it kind of breathes life into what right. you're trying to teach about when you talk about the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And like that, I love that. Like I would, I, I would love to do that for every unit yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and then the Gandhi experience, that was a whole nother story that, that, that one we could probably spend a few hours on, but, but Gandhi um, is, some, is an individual that I it, deeply admire. Uh, you know, so many facets of what he was able to achieve um, based on the resources he had. And uh, following the 240 mile journey, I start off with my cousin and his girlfriend. Um, they end up having, they broke up on the second day and they end up like, uh, they end up going and cruising <laughs> ahead. Yeah, eventually they end up getting uh -huh. married. So it all worked okay. out. But uh, so I ended up by myself out there in India from day two, just carrying like, I, I thought, well, if Gandhi could like survive with like 10 items, I should be able to like survive a month with like 10 items as mm -hmm. well. So I'm just running through the, the countryside in these super intensely urban, uh, very polluted cities. Unfortunately, like the pollution, air pollution there was really strong. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely country. And the people I met were so generous. I mean, I met farmers that didn't have anything, but they would wanna offer something to me, offer food or whatever they could give me. And they were so generous. I mean, it just, the generosity I experienced amongst the people in India. And then it kind of took off while I was there too. Like they, they were writing about in the Times of India every day. Mm. And so, every other truck driver would be honking at me and waving. And uh, I mean, it, it was tough, like, because it was so hot. Uh, yeah. It was like a hundred degrees, but the humidity was really hot and I wasn't as strong as I am now. Uh, and so I ended up like even have like, I had blood in my urine on like the third day, which I've never had ever before or since. And it was just from like being overheating myself. Mm -hmm and like pushing myself too hard. Um, but uh, I destroyed my feet. I had like a, a thousand blisters. Uh, I had to get these bamboo sticks. I mean, one day I found a big chunk of ice on the ground. I was so thankful to find that chunk of ice. I was like, it's so hot. Oh, it's like a gift from the heavens. Like, I mean, I've never been so, so excited about a chunk of ice. <laughs> 10 items? Yeah. You only brought 10 items with you. So what yeah, were the 10 a, items? And were you just camping? Like, did you have a backpack or what, was this uh, like a self-supported thing? Or? Yeah, it was a self-supported, I didn't really have a plan. Like uh -huh. I was kind of just winging it. And so I started off at the Gandhi ashram and they basically had these, uh, they escorted me out of the city with all these uh, scooters and they had the media there and everything. And uh, basically the first night or first couple of nights they organized for a place for me to sleep. But I, the first night I like slept in the middle of this village just out on a, a bed out, outside the, the mm -hmm. small, small home. 
And like, uh, it was kind of funny cause I like look up and there's like 20 villagers circled around me, just looking down <laughs> at me and I'm like, all right, I'm uh-huh. trying to sleep for a little bit. Um, but then I've met other people like uh, this gentleman Patrell, uh, Patel, he uh, invited me to, it was like the sixth day. He invited me to stay with his family at his house. I just met him uh, out on like this lonely road and he still keeps in touch with me today. So like maybe wow. once a month, he'll call me and say, how is your family? How, how is everything in Cincinnati? It's wow. pretty neat. Uh, yeah, so, but that at the end, we were met by a uh, principal of a school for deaf and blind children. And they escorted me like the last mile. So we shared that mile together. Mm-hmm. And that was super amazing. Like I could never, I uh, put a value on that, like sharing that experience with those kids yeah. was incredible. And now so, when you think about Gandhi and you know his civil disobedience and what that salt march must have been like, you have a whole like, oh, yeah. rich kind of history of experience yeah. to draw upon that makes that come to life in a way that it can't in a textbook. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I met uh, a guy who shared stories about uh, his father. He, he brought me a, a sheet of paper where Gandhi had like written his father a note on it. And mm. uh, just the, uh, it was uh, as much a co- connection with like Gandhi's story as it was the local people. Cause the people were so, even though they didn't have a lot of material wealth, they were extremely generous with like their, their uh, time and uh, whatever they had, they would be willing to give it to you. So, I mean, a lot of times I would stop in these little like uh, tiny, tiny little like stores, real sh- like a little shack that's selling like uh, goods and they wouldn't let me pay. They right. said, no, you're gonna have to take that. You can't pay. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Thank you. Right, and they have nothing. Yeah, nothing. You know? Yeah. Wow. wow. You seem like a generally, happy, like very positive guy. Like you have this like sunny disposition. You must have your, like, I'm looking at, where's the dark side, <laughs> you know? Like, is there, is there a dark yeah. side? Like, yeah. you? I mean, when I look at you, I see somebody like who, that disposition is, is, is really a big part of like how you're able to weather like such mental toughness when the chips are down in these races. Like I see the same thing in Courtney, like she's, it, you know, the, like the worldview is like, the world's a good place and it's gonna be fine. And like, let's have a good time, you know? Yeah. And that's an underappreciated superpower. Yeah, it's it's how I feel. Like, I mean, it's, I do have like, uh, you know, my moments, like, uh, but they don't, I, I try to get myself through those moments by like focusing on good things, mm-hmm. like the good things, you know, there's a lot of rough things out there that we can all like get, get ourselves caught up in but focusing on the people in our circle, you know, focusing on like the experiences that we can have in life. It, it, it can be a superpower, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of kid were you? Uh, I was a challenging kid. I yeah. was a big challenging kid. Like I actually really, uh, I think my, I'd have to go back to like my parents getting divorced when I was like five. So I grew up in this uh, remote area of Pennsylvania when I was really young a place called Chalk Hill, Pennsylvania. And then I moved to uh, a suburb of Cleveland with my mother. So that, that, that had a challenge uh, for me. Um, when I was going to school, I, I really struggled. Like I was not, I was a D student, F student, uh, all the way up until like 10th, 
grade. I mean, I was really a struggling student. I mean, I, I was in, I was literally placed in like learning disability classes because I was a problem. Uh, had because problem you didn't behavior. care or you couldn't pay attention? It was or? a variety of things. I was a challenging with my behavior. Like mm -hmm. I, I just was, I do my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like not a not like a bad kid, but just I mean, I wasn't I'm not like, listening to anybody. Yeah, I wasn't causing fires, but yeah, I would just be. I would would like yeah, I wouldn't listen. I'd be you know off like you know challenging. I, uh -huh. I just would be really challenging. Was part of that like your coping mechanism for the trauma of the divorce, or like when I, probably you look back some on of that? it was that a yeah. little bit, and then also I think like learning styles, like my learning style. I, I got behind my first couple years of elementary school. Like, so I wasn't a good reader. I struggled. Uh, I think that some of my teachers in the earlier grades, they'd, they'd want like kind of push me off in the corner. Cause I was just, what do you do with this kid? I've got mm. a ton of stuff going on. It's, 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 it's challenging to work with the student, you know, right. so. And then you start to believe that you're the kid who can't learn or. Yeah, yeah. Know. And then I just had like this uh, mindset that I just couldn't learn. Yeah, it was really true. I mean, I had some amazing teachers along the road. I had um, this uh, Mrs. Gondish, like with my elementary school teacher and special ed. Uh, I, I really struggled with reading comprehension and uh, my self-efficacy. So like, I, I really didn't think I could do it. And I had a big giant change was when I went and did the marathon when I was 15. So- And why, what prompted that? I, I had been, uh, I, I've always been sort of uh, curious about challenges. Like even when I was a chubby kid, I was always kind of curious about, like I'd always wanna go kind of climb up like the hill that's, like it doesn't look like it's very climbable or do do things like that. And uh, the marathon just intrigued me. I'd, it, it, it cut into my morning cartoons when I was a kid. Like I'd be watching on Saturday, I'd be like, what the heck is this? But I, I, I got drawn in. I was watching it when I was probably like 11, 12, somewhere around there, 13. So I knew about this Cleveland marathon. And for whatever reason, like, I was like, I wanna do that. I told my mom when I was like, like, eight days, nine days before the race, I wanna do that marathon. And she's like, my mom always say, okay, to everything. Uh -huh. And so she said, okay, we'll sign you up. So I went down there, got signed up for the marathon. The furthest I ran at that time was like eight miles. Mm. I mean, and-, and this is like, what, like 91? Like 91, yeah. exactly, when I was uh, 15. So I was a freshman in high school, like my coach at the time said, like I ran one marathon and it was miserable. There's no way you want to do that. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and everyone Thanks else for on the, the pep team, talk. I know, and everyone you know? else on the team's like Harvey, because I'd usually finish towards the back of the group. They're like Harvey, there is no way you're gonna be able to finish that marathon. Just and it no was way. unusual then for yeah. somebody that young to do something like back that. Then, like yeah, the idea was you could harm yourself or right, you, know, you right. could do permanent damage. Right. So. I ended up like going down uh, and I had to get down there by myself that day because my mom was working at the hospital. And uh, I ran the first 10 miles. Like I, I, like I thought it was no problem at all. Like I think I went real fast. I got to mile 10, I just about like, man, I'm like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> How in the world am I gonna even finish this thing? So I ran and walked uh, the rest of the race. And I like met up with a couple other runners uh, and 
that helped me out a lot. Uh, and I ended up like finishing that race. I can still visualize the finish line. And it just seemed like it was a country away. Like it would never happen. But finishing that race was monumental for me mm. at the time because I had never experienced that kind of like success. So even though I finished it like over five hours, to me, like just finishing the marathon was like a huge giant right. success. Especially when everyone yeah. was telling you it was impossible. Impossible, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, that, that changed my mindset. And then after that, I started applying myself in school. And so like, it would still take me probably two and a half, three hours to do what someone would do in like 30, 40 minutes, like for writing a paper, but I put a lot of energy and thought into it. And then uh, I ended up really doing much better. I ended up like turning around from being like a, an, a D student that really didn't believe in themselves, didn't want to put themselves out there for the risk of failure or whatever it might be, or didn't think that I could do it to being like, I'm just gonna apply myself until I do do it. So it's gonna get, it, it, was, it was a monumental change for yeah, me. That's really powerful to hear the idea of going out and doing something hard and then learning as a young person that you can apply that will or that determination to these other areas in your life. And you know, most people who get relegated to the side in the educational system, I don't have to tell you as a teacher, like that's all she wrote. It becomes very difficult for that person to like inch their way back in and find yeah. a path to self-efficacy short of finding something outside of the academic realm that gives their life sort of direction and purpose like you did. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. for our for our school at SCPA. I mean, I think the arts do that for our kids. Sure. Like finding that like vehicle through the arts is super mm -hmm. powerful, but finding some vehicle to like motivate kids is like revolutionary. It's huge. It's the it's, whole it's game, huge. man. Yeah, it's yeah. huge and it's it's hard. I, I think that me having the background I do where I I really struggled through school until like my sophomore junior year and then I really took off it does help me a bit with some of my kids are like on that same edge where they're struggling and I can kind of relate to them. And yeah, I can understand what it's, it's like to, to, to not do well, uh -huh. you know, and to try, try to, to turn around. So, I mean, I can don't- you crack them though? I, mean, I don't always crack tough. it. No, it's very yeah. tough. But you know, when you do with one or two, like, or, or however that is, like, then it's like, wow, that's like a, a wild moment. Mm. Do you ever invite any of the students to run with you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have. Uh, I mean, we have a running club at school. Uh, there's been different things. I have it's the an running excuse club. for you to get a third run in. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, but I had. Uh, I've had a number of students have really taken off with it. Um, like one of my students, Logan, he he got into running club so much, and then he ended up doing ultras. And another one, Chris uh, Meyer, and it's kind of neat to see like them getting into it. Mm -hmm. And like actually, Logan was at Badwater this year, crewing one of the other racers. Oh, wow! So that was really cool to have happen. That's really cool. But uh, one time, I actually uh, with one of my students, because I was trying to really get get his mind. Uh, focus on his mind, but uh, I actually raced him on his bus. Like he took the bus home to his house and I raced and I beat him. Like I said, okay, yeah. I'll race you home. You take the bus, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna beat you. And he's like, no way, you're gonna beat <laughs> So I did it uh -huh. and uh, that was fun. So it was kind of like a breakthrough because then we were able to like, you know, build upon that, right. you know, but uh, 
Yeah, it's it's there's no like uh, cut science entirely with teaching. I mean, there's uh, you have to like uh, always be adapting and mm-hmm. trying new things. Well, that fourteen to eighteen kind of uh, span of time, which is where you know my parenting falls right now between two different kids, trying to figure out that way in is so tough. And on some level, it's like it's not for me. Like they don't want to hear it from their parents, it has to be through someone like you or somebody else, you know, that they can look to for inspiration, but, you know, try, I must. <laughs> and, you know, it's that age where it's like, they don't wanna hear it. They don't wanna be around you. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. You're just the furthest thing from being influential on that level. And it's a powerlessness that you feel as a parent um, that makes it really hard, you know? It's, it's like, I can see like, here's, kind of where I could wedge my way in and maybe nudge this young person in this direction, but they're not having it. Exactly. And they gotta find yeah. it for themselves or they gotta hear it from somebody else. Yeah, yeah, my, my son is 25 now mm. and I went through that when he was a teenager. I mean, it's like, I tried every angle and it's just <laughs> like, during those years, we really struggled. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to say that now it's like, it's, it's come full circle, he's like, really we have a much better communication now than we did when he was like in those teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your relationship with your dad is super interesting as well, right? So the divorce happens, you go to live with your mom and you're, I don't get the sense that you were estranged from your dad, but you just didn't know him like he wasn't in your daily experience, right? Well, my dad was really good about communicating with me. Like every Sunday we had a conversation and it would be annoying to me at the time, like it'd feel like a lecture, um, but it, it was also a way for us to stay connected because he he had moved to Minnesota mm-hmm. following the divorce. Uh, and we also spent time in the summertime. So we would typically, he exposed me actually to the wilderness. Like we would go uh, when I was in seventh grade and then also ninth going or maybe 10th grade, we went uh, to different like trips out West to the Wind River Mountains. So having that experience with my father, even though it was limited on time was super powerful as well mm. as valuable to me. I mean, like I, I told you, I had the breakthrough with the marathon, but there were other things that, you know, having having my parents in my camp were, were, were important right. to right. me, yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, you take a crack at the uh, fastest known time for the Appalachian Trail and you use this also as an experience to create a deeper connection with your dad and you make this documentary out of the whole thing. So talk a little bit about that. Cause this is really kind of, it's super touching. It's like a running thing, but it's kind of not, it's about something else altogether. And yeah. I think it's really cool. I haven't had a chance to watch the whole thing, but I watched a couple, I watched a trailer and then read up on it and stuff like that. So tell me more about this project. Definitely. So. I came up with the idea of going for the fastest known time on the AT and we we set out for it in 2018. And I was looking at, it's one of the biggest challenges is the logistics. Like who is gonna crew mm-hmm. you? I mean, if you're going for a supported record, uh, it's like 40, it was 45 days at that time. And like having someone with you for 45 days, that's a, that's a major contribution, it's a major commitment. So I'm like, I had a lot of friends that could come out for like maybe two or three days. I have my friend, Alan Lopes at Lopez could come out for oh, three weeks, but I needed someone who could be there the whole, the time. whole time. And 
I was like, I don't know if I wanna do this to my dad. He's 79. It's like, it's a lot of intensity mm-hmm. to be driving on these rural roads. And there are no road signs and like you have to navigate and stay Wait, up Who's late. in more peril? I'm like, you I on the trail or your dad it. in the I van? Know, exactly, I was really concerned <laughs> on yeah. some days, but my dad, he has a really, uh, he is a strong man. I mean, honestly, I don't know anyone as, 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 as tough as he is in a sense of like his mental strength and ability to problem solve. So he's, he's got engineering background. Uh, so he said, yeah, I'd like to come on out and it'd be a blast. And then it, it became not just going for the record, but actually having this opportunity to spend you know, 50 days with my father is like priceless. You right. know what I mean? Like that's, it, 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 we'd never get that opportunity. You know, it's like, we might have like a week here or a week there. We never have 50 days together and going for something so tough, like getting up every day at 5 a.m. and going until 10 or 12 at night, every single day, mm-hmm. you're trying to cover, you know, basically like uh, almost 50 miles a day. And it's like, it is just, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, it's like probably the most difficult thing I've done. Uh, it's just, you get to like day three and you're like, every day you're climbing 10,000 feet, you know, a third of the height of Mount Everest. And you're like, wow, when is this ever gonna end? Yeah. And it never gets easier. You know, it's like, it, it's always some element of challenge to it. But having my father along, and it gave us opportunities to kind of, I mean, it just was so nice to arrive at 10 o'clock at a, a, st- a station he set up with some oatmeal. And like, we just have like oatmeal for, it was 10 minutes, mm-hmm. five minutes, eight minutes. Right, have a little that, Tuesdays with Maury moment. Oh, the, that yeah. moment, I mean, it just, <laughs> it, it, it meant a lot. And uh, so we we had simultaneously, we had this film um, that was being shot by Road ID, uh, like Harvey, like Son. And uh, Rudy Harris, who directed and produced it, uh, he did an amazing job. Like I didn't see that initially as a story. Like I thought, okay, we're gonna do like this documentary on the fastest known time. It's gonna be really neat because we're gonna have like these amazing shots of like the AT and we're gonna get talk to people on the trail. But then He's it became like, so much here's more interesting. Here's the story. Right. What's going on between right. these two guys? Right. It was yeah. so much more interesting to focus on my father, like he's way more entertaining than I am. And he's sitting there talking to people and giving out like food to people to through hikers. And I mean, it's just, it, it, and then seeing the dynamic between he and I, uh, you know, I really had to rely on his, uh, he didn't say one negative thing the whole time for 50 days. I so mean, that's where you get it. One negative thing. Yeah, it's, it, I, I do get a lot of that from my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, sorry to interrupt, no, but no, it's no, funny worries. that you're like, he's so entertaining. Cause he says in the trailer, like, like, you know, Harvey's so charismatic. Like I'm not, I'm just a guy. Like, you know, he's <laughs> downplaying his own charm. Yeah, he's, he's much, he's got a, a ton of charm. And uh, I think he actually is the, the main star of the film. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it, it was a fun documentary and it's, it's, it's a, um, amazing to, you know, uh, be able to have that peace with my father that's that's there. Sure. You know, it's like yeah, uh, forever. It's forever. Uh, you know, right now there's a, they're they're in works uh, with a major platform. Mm. So the hope is that it will come to a larger streaming service in in the oh, months cool. ahead. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of a self-released thing at the moment. Right at the moment, it actually 
it got a uh, little sideswiped by the pandemic. So right. initially we were supposed to have a, a big opening out here in Hollywood. Um, well, not like a big, but a few theaters. And right. we were gonna like, uh, you know, generate, um, it was gonna be at um, several hundred theaters across the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, but it, it was supposed to come out, uh, I think it was like a, literally a month after the pandemic started mm. in April. Like, oh, uh, so, bummer, so it's just, it's okay. It's yeah. like what happens? So I end up going to maybe like, I don't know if it made it to like 50 theaters or 60 theaters, I'm not sure. Uh, it, was, it did get yeah. a theatrical release though. I didn't know that, wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's, uh, it won a number of film festivals. So believe it or not, it won like, uh, I think 11 different mm. film wow. festival awards. And so it, it, it has uh, some really uh, very nice components to it. I mean, uh, and from I'm just grateful to have it out there, but I'm hopeful that you know we can we can get it to the streaming service. Well, uh, um, get it to a larger. Well, platform. obviously we'll link we'll link it up in the show notes, but the website is like harveylikesun.com, so people should just yeah. go there and check it out and stream it. Yeah, and I definitely will. I'm gonna watch it tonight. I should awesome. watch it. Man. Oh, I, should, no, I feel no bad that I didn't watch no, it before the podcast. No, no worries. Um, so Barkley. Yeah, this is this is what the sites are on right now. Yeah, right? like why is this freaking thing so hard to crack? Like fifteen people in the last thirty years have finished this thing. It's incredible. Like, what Since is the 1986. deal? Uh, so why is it so hard? It, Laz just has created the most incredibly difficult race you can imagine for a number of reasons. Uh, not only, I mean, it has hundred and twenty miles. Like that's not that big of a deal. But the fact that it's got, uh, yeah, it's, it's got- It's all it's, relative, it's all Harvey, relative. For, you know, you just ran 354 miles, right. so like 120? Yeah, yeah that's Come not, on. that's it's supposed to be 100, but really it's like ends up being 120 because you have to navigate. So only 20% is on trail and 80% is off trail. Uh-huh. And then- So that extra 20 is built in because he, you, they, you know you're gonna go off the yeah, course Yeah, everyone knows that it's right. longer than 100. So you just wanna think already, like, so you don't, you know, Prepare yourself for uh-huh. what it's going to be. Then you got uh, close to sixty thousand feet of elevation climbing. So that's like two times up Mount Everest and back down in sixty hours. And then you have uh, going in the fog at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Like uh, imagine you're off course or you're on a course that's off trail, and you're it's pitch black. Uh, it's going to be a, uh, maybe a quarter moon. There's fog. You know, you you basically are relying on somewhat intuition, somewhat on your your compass. Uh, you know, I'm carrying that with me now right. all the it's time. An orienteering <laughs> kind of thing. A little, little bit of orienteering, and then not only that, you have to follow uh, Laz's uh, riddles that he has written in his own language. Uh, to where these books are hidden, and so there's 14 books you have to you have to find uh, find the one that's you know maybe at the state penitentiary you know that they have uh, there. You have to find one underneath a rock that's by the birch tree. I mean it's like it's it very encrypted. Uh, so it's it's a challenge once you get like yourself to a place where you've been going for 36 hours, uh, and, and you have to navigate at nighttime, and you're you're tired. You've had sleep deprivation. I don't think most people don't sleep even the night before the race because they're waiting for the Kong mm-hmm. shell to be blown. And they're like have a hard time falling mm-hmm. asleep. So, I mean, it, it becomes really important 
to take mental record of where you're going because you also rotate loops every other loop. So you're going in a, a different direction every other loop. So there's so many components to this race that that add to the, the difficulty, like including the elevation. I mean, imagine climbing up and down Everest in uh, 60 hours yeah. and it's not like on a road or like a, a path, it's on like, this uh, muddy like climb uh, up like a steep embankment right. with thorns, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's very challenging, but that's what I love about it. You know, so like, how do you get your head around that and sort of uh, customize your training to be in the best kind of prepared state that you can? Yeah, it's, it, that's what I love about taking on these new challenges, like bad water is such an extreme, like the hot environment. This now I'm not, I'm starting to not think about things in terms of mileage. So now I, I've never done this before. I know a lot of runners out here do this, but now I'm starting to think about it and just in terms of like vertical ascent. So now like I'm actually plotting down. I never did it before. I never really cared about it. I just like, but now I'm writing down every week what my vertical ascent is mm -hmm. and every day what that is. And I'm literally seeking out every single hill, mountain, mole hill I can yeah. find. And when I can do it uh, on the weekend, I go to like a state park in Ohio and I just literally go right off trail, right through the like the brush, the thorns, everything. Like right. just, just go straight off right. trail, and I like just go like in, in like a yeah, lo get lost, and then try to find your way back. Yeah, yeah. You, know, uh, you need to have like a buddy of yours like kidnap you in the middle right. of the night and blindfold you and just like drop you out of the trunk of a car somewhere and you don't know where you are and it's like good luck, buddy. You gotta get home. <laughs> like that would well, be. You know? That's an idea. I might actually use that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, yeah, or they, what's the tallest skyscraper in Cincinnati? And like, we have can the, you the run crew tires. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think that's gonna be. Uh, it's probably not. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna do it. No. Yeah, it's not tall enough, Rich. Right. But I mean, I know you could do it. But at least like conveniently yeah. located if you wanna get some vert that's like during the week or something. Yeah, fortunately, Cincinnati is a city of seven hills. So we do have great hills in mm -hmm. Cincinnati. So I just go up and down the hills. And, you know, there's really that element of also being out in the environment. Like that's another thing, just being comfortable being out when it's like dark and it's right. 3 a.m., you know? So it's a, I'm not gonna train every day, like running at 3 a.m., but I have to be comfortable to be out in the middle of nowhere uh -huh. and like just, you know, be being out in the dark at 3 a.m. Right. in the middle of nowhere. Like you're you don't a know contestant you in a reality yeah, show or something. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's like, you end up doing these, these kind of crazy training. I mean, every every one of these major races involves a degree of some new crazy training that I love that I love that. I love yeah. like trying to be creative. I think that the the creative element is so important in ultras and it's also under-recognized like as a, as a as a pivotal element as being creative. Well, one of the things that you do as part of, you know, part of it is part of this human powered commuting is like you kayak to work sometimes or I think you even swam. Yeah, I've swam a few times. Like, yeah. yeah. Um to mix it up and like keep it fun and fresh and and you know experience a little bit of cross training benefit too. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I was surprised I saw on Instagram like you hit the pool. Yeah, yeah. On, yeah. The, on the fairly regular, don't you? Uh not enough. Yeah. Honestly. I do it like kind of seasonally. 
Like, uh, mm-hmm. so there's an outdoor pool I'd like to go to. It's like a, a city time. pool, right? It's a city it looked pool like it was right OTR. in the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah, it's right in the heart of the city and it's underutilized as well. So, I mean, I like to get out there when they're open in the, uh, the like season for it. Mm-hmm. And if I, yeah, if I had a, yeah, I, if I had a pool like that, that was open year round, I'd probably utilize it more. Right. But uh, I just kind of go with seasons. Like sometimes I'll get into something like that for just a season. And like in the winter time, I literally, uh, from like January to February, I usually like sign up for a gym that has like a, a like a big movie theater, like that you can just run on the treadmill. Uh-huh. And like, I, I just like watching the movies right. and like, yeah, I'll do that in like January, February. But the last couple of years I haven't because my races have involved more element being out in the elements. And with Barkley, it's like, you have to just throw yourself out yeah. in that. No treadmills. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, even like- Laz would not approve. No, Laz would not approve. <laughs> you know, even like uh, being su- subjected to more cold, like you want, it's gonna be very cold in that race. Like uh, when you're up on the ridge line and it's like, maybe you're gonna be uh, in the, 20s or it could be in the 30s. Uh, this week it's neg- it's gonna be down to 19. Mm. So I mean it's it gets windy. What and you're when wet. is the race? I can't set an exact date, but it is in March. Okay. Yeah. So it's because uh, it's all you know, secretive. but you can't say. Or yeah, I, I know, know it's all shrouded in say. smoke and mirrors. Right. And right. Okay. Right. So they. they why does he? Why secrecy around the date? Well, right now it has become just an incredible phenomenon in terms of like people are so excited about it. So he Is that wants part to like because of the Netflix documentary. I think that's yeah. definitely part of it. So it has a huge following. I mean, I posted about uh, that was in the race, which yeah, is a little bit of a no-no. The condolences, right? The condolences, uh, yeah. but it, but people knew I, I was going to get into it because I have one um, Biggs backyard, mm-hmm. and like that was one of the the benefits of what what I won from winning Biggs was I got into Barclays, right. so I get some more punishment. But you're being but, shamed for right. even talking about it. It's right. like Fight Club, like yeah. you're not allowed to say yeah. anything. No, you, you can say a little bit about certain things, but you can't say the date. Um, yeah, but la- like he has had challenges with a lot of people sh- or people showing up mm-hmm. that aren't supposed to be there. And it's a relatively con- small space, like at the campground mm-hmm. and things like that. So. They don't, they don't want people showing up like uh, those dates and unless they're right. like uh, invited guests. Yeah. Right. Well, good news because uh, we're heading into winter. So right. you're gonna get a fair amount of cold weather in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. So I can see you out there shirtless. Yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna do that like, every day, I, but know. I'm gonna try like uh, probably on my run commutes to school a couple of days a week where I'll probably just wear like a, a t-shirt and shorts, even right. if it's like 20 degrees right, or right, 15 right, degrees, right. but not every day, yeah, yeah. not every day. It's like with bad water, I only train for heat a couple of days a week. Like it's mm-hmm. better for your mind. And we might as well spend at least a minute on that. Cause I think, yeah. you know, I know what you did, but that would blow people's minds to know the kind of heat acclimation work that you put in. Yeah, bad water is, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite ultras in the world. It's uh, it's not that far from your home, so mm. we, we and I know you've been out there. I crewed it yeah. one year. That was yeah. enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I love the environment out there. I mean, it's like it's beautiful. It, it's incredible. So I mean, it's 120 degrees typically in the race. It's 135 miles. You know, you go to uh, you go up over three mountains and you finish on Whitney. And uh, yeah, this year was uh, magical because it was my tenth year running Badwater. Mm-hmm. 
I had won the race back in 2014 on the alternate course that year due to the park uh, closure. Right, there was all that shenanigans. Yeah, and so uh, it was a dream of mine. Uh, I write out goals each year, and like that was one of my like 12 goals for the year was to win Badwater. And it was wild because I had written it down. And I mean, you just like, it, it was a, a bit of a, a high stretching goal, but to have it come to fruition was again, it was just incredible. Cause I've been dreaming about that again mm. for years and working at it and just trying to tweak and tweak. The uh, race was, uh, it, it was very windy this year. And we, uh, there was uh, uh, a runner from, uh, Ukraine who got out ahead, he was uh, leading uh, throughout most of the race uh, and he was continuing to build a lead. And then going up the second mountain, this was about mile uh, 79 or mm -hmm. to 83, I was really feeling uh, beat up. Like I was actually- That's the one where it's the middle of the night, right? Uh, because of like the race oh, starting at 10 the starting time. PM. Yeah, 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 yeah. For like the last uh, six mm -hmm. years. So that that's actually around, I think it was around noon, like about mm -hmm. noon or one o'clock. And I was feeling like a, a bit beat up. I was trying to hang in there mentally. I was thinking, cause I, I was like, I always think like, you never know what's gonna happen to a person in front. And I was in second place at the time. And I'm just like, I just have to work through this. So my team, again, Judd and my other friends, they were trying to keep me hydrated, give me like enough liquids. And I wasn't doing the greatest. Uh, somehow, when I got to that uh, aid station at Darwin, I had this just uh, fire that, that hit me and, uh, I, I just felt like a different person. Like, and I, and I knew that at that aid station, I, I got the clock time on the runner in front and I knew that he was struggling as well because despite me slowing down, he had put no time on me. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go get you. What I'm was the like, gap at that point? It was about, I think about 25 minutes or so. Like, um, but I'm like, I'm gonna just Got give him. everything I have. And then, so we started running, we ran a few miles and all of a sudden we had this really special experience where the fighter jets literally just buzzed over top of us, like 60 meters above our heads. Wow. And that was just like, that just lit me up even more. And now I'm just like, all right. And then another, maybe another half a mile, mile from that, literally I saw Igor, um, Ukrainian runner, and he was in my sights. And then I just was very consistent not to over overdo it, but to continually like mm, chip away. Chip away. Mm -hmm. And I think I caught up to him about mile 114. We had a really good exchange. Actually, it was very like, uh, positive between the two of us. Uh, it was actually one of the coolest events I've ever, like moments I've ever had running to have like a positive embrace and where he's like, you know, I was like, you know, keep at it. And he's like, you go get it. And that was uh, something oh, really sweet. special. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Two wins, 10 bad waters, plus the fastest known time from bad water to the summit, Mount Whitney summit, right? That was another wild one. So with crazy. 2020. So people, explain yeah. like, first of all, Badwater for people that don't know, 135 miles across the desert. Most people are familiar with the crazy heat and they know, you know, some sense of, of what that's like, but 
they under they they don't really understand that there's like an insane amount of elevation gain, and the last however many when you get into the portals and yeah. you go up to the, the last, to eight thousand feet at Mount Whitney, it's like the last what is it half marathon is like straight uphill. Yeah, the last half marathon is is definitely a climb. It's like another five thousand feet up right. to the portal, but then and, it's a whole other thing altogether to continue past that point and go all the way to the summit, which is the highest point in North America. So the original concept behind this race was you go from the lowest point in North America to the highest point in the contiguous US. Yeah, absolutely. So Al Arnold did this back in 1976 and set, the, and it, set it up, 146 uh, is the original Badwater course. But the park service, as things are, they they really didn't like the idea of having runners right. go up Whitney. You, which you've run 135 sense. miles, and now yeah. you're going to do a summit push, and it's treacherous up there. It's I mean, treacherous. people would die for sure. Yeah, I mean, in the early days, we're talking about you know 20 people in the race. You know, what I mean, so it wasn't like the bigger number. Now mm-hmm. we have 100 people. Uh, so I think that you know runners, we don't oftentimes uh, put safety nets in there or like. Stoppage. So if it was lightning, I could see some people be like, "Oh hell, I'm still going up there." Yeah, you know, it, I'm it, so, so invested at this point. Right. So I mean, it is good that we have the 135 uh, with the number of runners we have today. But in 2020, we were having the pandemic, and the race was canceled. And I, you know, I had trained for the race, and I had never done the 146, and I was always kind of intrigued about it. And Marshall Ulrich had the record going mm-hmm. back 29 years earlier. I have a lot of respect for Marshall. 91? I mean, same year you yeah, did that first marathon. Same year. Yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal guy. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, I'm just gonna organize my team. We'll go out there in August and we'll you know, go for it. Uh, we raised money for the City Gospel Mission, which is like a homeless uh, shelter in Cincinnati that also has a running program for individuals that are recovering. Oh, that's cool. It's so cool. And at first I was thinking, okay, we'll just go for like a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars. I wasn't like really hyping it up that much. And uh, by the time we got out there, we, we had like five thousand dollars were donated. And so that actually kind of fueled my fire, like going into that event at at, at mile seventeen to hear feedback from the team that hey, we had already raised five thousand and it was going up. And yeah, that, to me it was it meant a lot to me. Um, I try to keep really a good pace going through the race. When I got into Lone Pine at mile 122, I felt there's no way I'm gonna get this record. I, I was just depleted after going through the desert. I was exhausted. And I was like, okay, well, we're gonna like go up to the 135 and we'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe I'll just stop at that point. And so I was hiking up the final 13 miles that would have been to the 135. And I was talking to my fiance on the phone and I was like, you know, Kelly, I feel like really, I don't think this is possible. I, I really feel like there's like a 1% chance I could do this. There's no mm. chance I can do this. I, I feel depleted. That's an unusual statement coming uh, from you. It's unusual. So but you're I, like, saying it out loud. Yeah, I was saying it out loud. It's real. It's like 1% chance I could do this. Like I feel like totally depleted right now. And as I was going up the mountain, like uh, with about maybe five miles before the portal, the, the temperatures were starting to drop a bit. And I think I was able to get more liquids into my body and I was starting to feel, hmm, 
okay, maybe there's something here. And then so when I got to the last two miles up to the portal, I said to one of my friends, I said, uh, Max, you're gonna have to prepare, or you, uh, you have to prepare things because um, I think I might go for it. Uh, so, I uh, actually I said that to Jeremy. <laughs> so, when we got to the top, uh, I still wasn't feeling like thunder, but I felt like it's maybe I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for this. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still. I'm not sure if it's possible. At, at that point, when I got to a portal, what was really amazing was Marshall Ulrich, who had the record from 29 years earlier, called me on the phone and he's like, Harvey, you know what? You can do this. Like, and I was thinking I can't because I'm an hour behind where I want to be in order yeah. to make this ascent. And I know Marshall's an amazing climber. He's climbed all the seven summits. And, uh, but he gave me like a little 45 seconds, 60 seconds pep talk, which is amazing. Someone has had that record for 29 years to be so gracious to do. Yeah, that's super cool. So cool. How did you even have service up there? uh, How could you even get a phone call? You get service at the portal. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't know. My team, they, they put that together. Like they had gotten in touch with him. And then my friend, Michael Jimenez uh, and Davey McCoy, and his friend, um, they accompanied me up to the to the summit as yeah. like a crew. And like once I got on the trail, like I had my uh, hiking poles. Uh, Marshall and I talked extensively about what was permitted, what was not permitted, time to leave, everything. And uh, I felt like a, a new energy. Like again, mm-hmm. it was wild. Like I I felt different than I felt down below. Like I felt like okay, I felt I'm just gonna go with everything I got. I don't know if we have a shot but I was moving, I was moving really fast. And Michael said, wow, it's hard to keep up with you. And uh, so once I got to like the la- to the switch, once you get at the top of the switchbacks, you come up over the ridge line, there's like uh, 1.8 miles left or something like that. Now I thought, okay, th- it's in our sight as long as I don't make any catastrophic mistakes. Mm. You know, and, and then to get there at like 3.30 in the morning, uh, that was like just, incredibly powerful because on the Appalachian Trail, we end up coming up short. We got like the eighth fastest time, yeah. which was you know, still amazing because we got that, he had an amazing experience I could never take back. But again, to get up there to uh, you know, be a part of Marshall's record from 29 years ago, mm. and then to involve my team and then to do it for the city gospel mission, that was, that was yeah, cool. you got it. You clipped it by like 20 minutes or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But here's the thing, you get up to the summit, you did it, <laughs> you still gotta get down, Yeah. right? You can't the, just get in a van and drive off. That's the, the summit of this huge mountain. Right, so yeah, my mind was really thinking about that because the temperature even in the summertime is really cold up there. And especially after you're like, imagine like if you can think about if you've ran a marathon before, you've done some event where at the end of that race, you get really chilled fast. Like yeah. after That's like- why they hand out those, those like tinfoil blankets. Exactly, things. so like 10 minutes later, you get super chilled. So I went into the shelter, I think for like five minutes, literally. And then I was just all about focus, but it took me a long time to get down. Like actually I wasn't trying to speed down. I was just taking my time, but I mean, it was slow. I mean, I like, I was Dude, going so slow. You got slow. 146 <laughs> miles in the legs. I mean, yeah, you know, I think it's okay. Like, it's kind of amazing. You're even, I mean, the quads could even handle going down a mountain. 
but the food after you have experience like that is the best food of your life. Like, I mean, that's one of the things about these ultras is like having that period where you're, you're kind of like, you're, 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 you're challenged. You're, some might call it suffering. I would never call it suffering. I like to look at it differently in that, but you're like in fatigue. And then once you have the opportunity to like relax, it's like the best relaxation ever to get into the hot tub or down at the bottom of uh, Whitney is a really nice cold river, like a mm-hmm. cold creek. Mm-hmm. And I like to just get in that creek and like, it's just, uh, it feels like something magical. I mean, yeah. it's like rejuvenating. Like well, you earned it, buddy. <laughs> you know, uh, people are gonna kill me if I don't ask you, you know, what you eat on the daily. Like, what's a day in the life of food for you? Yeah, that's uh, How's well, that work? it's it, it's during the weekdays I'm in Cincinnati, and then on the weekends I spend them with Kelly in Circleville. So Circleville is a country town. So uh, Kelly makes some amazing foods I, I, on the weekends. I, on the weekdays, I eat uh, a lot of stuff like that I just throw together. Like, I mean, breakfast might be like paros and almond milk and like chia seeds and blueberries and then, uh, or oatmeal. And then lunch is like maybe some sort of burrito mm-hmm. or it might be something that like, uh, like I don't eat a lot of salads, but I might be a salad a couple of days a week. And do then you, dinner, do I'll you, Indian. Do you make that and then Thai. put it in the backpack and and yeah, I do. I like throw all that school. stuff in my backpack. Right. Yeah, sometimes my backpack so is kind of like school filled. cafeteria lunch. Not too frequently, yeah. unfortunately. Like uh, once in a blue moon, they might have something I can eat, but they don't have a lot of offerings. Right. Like our school program, it, we still have to work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but uh, I like ethnic food, so like Thai food, Indian. Mexican food, all those things. Uh-huh. In Circleville, it's more challenging. Like that's a rural community. So we have in Circleville, there's literally only Chipotle and like a Mexican restaurant we eat at. And then otherwise I just have to like buy stuff at our right. grocery store and throw it together. You right. know? But are you, do you like the cooking part or are you just rather uh, like you're I'm, on the, you're on yeah, the move. I'm on the move. Yeah. So I'm I, so I, bad. I, I, I wouldn't mind cooking, but I'm not, I, I don't, I rarely cook. Like I literally just go and buy things fast in Cincinnati, like out to eat uh-huh. um, or uh, I, my mom, I take her out to eat a couple nights a week in Cincinnati. So we go out to eat and, uh, but I don't make food that often. Like, I mean, Kelly's really gotten into it. Uh-huh. And I, I, I just get to be the free rider on that. Like, yeah. uh, it would be a great idea. It's not like, a, I'm, I'm definitely like, <laughs> I'm interested in the idea, but I don't, I don't dedicate the time to it. Like, yeah. I'm just always on the move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it, man, I get it. Um, the last thing I wanna explore with you is, I imagine somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, I can't believe this guy does all this stuff. How does he do it? Like I'm inspired. I want to. I you know it's it's time. It's time. I, I got to finally get off the couch and like rectify this couch potato situation I'm in. Like how do you, you know, catalyze that spark? Get people off the couch. Get them active. Like how does somebody begin that journey? Yeah, I think it, it, the most important thing is is to find 
find something that you love or you have fun with. And I know it's, it doesn't become a love immediately. I've heard people like they start running and it's like, it takes three months before they actually start to like it a little bit. Like it, it, they have that period where it's like, I don't like this. Yeah. So I guess- Getting in running shape is the worst. Yeah, yeah find, finding something you in, enjoy and it might be hiking, it might be like swimming or whatever it is, but finding something you, you have fun with. Also having like a accountability partners. So like, with Cincinnati, it's a really nice city because we have actually like eight different running groups like that you can like join that are just, that's not even counting the private running groups everyone is part of. Um, and like joining a program, it, it can be really helpful to, to have that motivation like, okay, every Wednesday or every Saturday, we're gonna meet up and run. I think having some sort of accountability partner mm-hmm. is huge having goals, like having a goal out there. So like, I like to make my list of like 10 to 12 goals, literally every, like I do it over the winter break. Like I do that before January 1st comes. It it, it might sound kind of like, but literally that's powerful to me because it it sets out what I want to go for the year. And I like to dream big and go for big things. But having like goals out there, something that you can like sign up for, it's like Mm -hmm. three months out, that's, that's huge keeping things interesting. So like I have routines, like I do certain routines, like my run to work is pretty routine, but I also like to mix it up. So on a Saturday or Sunday, I wanna go explore something new. So like in Ohio, I've had this goal of like going to all 88 counties and I'm, it's probably take me another 20 yeah. years to get there. It's like but a like, Ricky Gates thing. Right, but I always, and I, and I go out to state parks, I try to see a new trail, but like, and I also like to do that with countries. So I've like now I'm at 101 countries and I like to go see a new country and like incorporate yeah. some adventure with that because it kind of sparks running as well uh, with what I do. But having like a little like thing that you do maybe once every couple of weeks where you, you, you get off your normal routine it can be powerful. It doesn't have to go to another country or even another county, but just like trying something a little bit different with what you're doing, it makes it, it brings a nuance to it that makes it so that you'll have incredible long, you know, more yeah. longevity with it. One of the, the daily habits that you've adopted that I think is super interesting is this um, personal journaling that, that is beyond journaling. Like you write down everything that you do. Well, that not true? everything, but I should have bring my calendar in here. Right, it's <laughs> yeah, like the pre, old the ca- yeah, and it's like every day I write down everything that I yeah, do. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like my uh, students occasionally they'll see my calendar on my desk. I'm like, man, so what are you doing with that? Like, don't you write that in your phone? Like, no, I'm mm-hmm. like old school. I have like everything. I've I've got all my runs in there, all my like uh, you have plots, like whatever is happening. Yeah, I do like to write. I don't write everything down, but I do like to write some things down. I think there's something powerful about writing down like your program, sure. whatever that is, or whatever your goals are for the week. Like there, there is some power to that. When you write something down, like before bigs, I also had some things on my mirror. Like, I mean, my fiance comes uh, to the city house, I'm gonna have to clean things up. But in my, my bathroom, my mirror, I have like three quotes are written down right now. And they're- What are j- those quotes? Uh, one of them is actually, one of them I have to paraphrase, but it's actually from Laz. It's like something about being inspired when people push like to the most extreme amounts and go beyond it. Like it was like going into Big's backyard, you know, like 
Laz is, uh, he's quite a remarkable character and he's kind of influenced a lot of us out there. And, you know, to just see his joy of his inspiration of us making 300 and having three runners do something that he didn't think might be possible mm-hmm. on his course was something that lit me up, you know, like that was super powerful. And I'm gonna keep that quote up there now since I'm doing Barkley and, and the chances of me finishing are like, according to Laz, like one in a million. Right. In fact, I'm I like- I love how so much say, of this yeah. is like, I got to win over Laz. Yeah, yeah it's like right, I'll, right, right. I'll I'll kill myself in order to get that guy's approval. <laughs> right, and it's like uh, he's actually said I'm like the sacrificial lamb, which is like the the runner least likely to expected to finish uh-huh. the race. Right, but um, yeah, and other quotes. Uh, yeah, let's see. You know, uh, actually, there's one from David Goggins. I mean, I kind of. I, David and I, we've done some races together and mm-hmm. I admire him. Uh, I think it's uh, uncommon amongst uncommon. Right. Yeah. yeah to be, yeah I, yeah, I don't know exactly how it it's goes. Something, it's something, like I'm that, paraphrasing, yeah. I'm messing it up again. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's something you, you're pushing yourself to, to a place where you, you never imagine yourself to possibly go to. Right, his other big quote, is all about this idea that when you think you're done, you've only tapped into 40% of what you're capable of. I mean, how do you think about that, that valence between the mental and the physical with what you do? I mean, it tips so mental when you're talking about bigs, it's like, it's all in the head. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so much in the head. Like, cause with your training, which will catapult you to that level, like that depends on your mind as well. So, I mean, so much is the mindset to get out there when it's cold and rainy and 11 PM, you know, like what, what's driving you. So then it gets us back to the question of why. And that's the other major thing. And like, to be honest with you, whenever I'm doing an A race that I really care about, I actually write down my why statement and I write down a bunch of stuff under why. So not for just bigs, one. what was the why? I had about 15 things. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, some are sort of personal. Um, some definitely would be like uh, for other people, like uh, you know, for my students or my my parents. Uh, for I would like to 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 impact other people and their lifestyle and like their their health and like what they're doing. So like that motivates me a lot to 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 do my very best to hopefully, you know, impact someone else. Sure, and just being clear about that why makes it the thing that you can pivot to when you're hitting the wall and you think yeah. you can't go on, you, you, you kind of return or remind yourself like, oh, these are the whys that gets you into that extra gear. It's so important. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful. Like, I mean, there's so many times where you, in your mind and your conscious, you, you, you t- uh, struggle with a thought about giving in but you can't give in. So you have to like have a why that's so strong that you would not give in. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your why for Barkley? Barkley. Do they stay the same or just uh, No, they always change. Yeah, so I usually don't write it out until like the two weeks before. Mm. Like I really write it out then. So I have to really think about it. But I do, I do have some ideas for my spirit animal. Cause that, yeah. that also rotates, you know? You can't go back to the honey badger. No, you gotta, you gotta the honey badger is good in bigs, but like, I think in Barkley, it might be the wild boar. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're wild boar out there and you gotta like just be like resourceful. Resourceful. We'll survive anything. Right. Somehow those animals manage to make it up all those steep mountains. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe even though find it a seems truffle impossible. here and yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, find a truffle. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, best of luck to you, man. It's uh really inspiring. Um not just what you do and what you've accomplished, but like how you comport yourself. Like I, I really enjoy talking to you and I I find your example to be incredibly inspiring. And the fact that you're out there just having the year of your life at age 45 with like no end in sight in terms of, of your potential and your capabilities and you're doing it plant-based. I mean, you're setting a new like example for what's possible in athletics. Like you're an adventurer, like you're, way out on the fringe, man, like seeing what all the rest of us, uh, you know, are capable of. And I think it's really cool. And if there's anything I can do to be of service to you, like I'm at your disposal, my friend. Wow, thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. It's, it's really been fun chatting yeah. with you and honored to be here. Cool, so if people wanna learn more about you, I mean, is Instagram the best place to send them or we're in, in, in yeah. addition to the documentary? Yeah, Instagram, Harvey Lewis Ultra Runner or Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's your deal, man. Yeah. You got a website? You don't have a website, I don't do have you? a website, no. Yeah, no I, actually, old I, do, school. I, I, I have run Quest Travel. So yeah. I, I didn't mention it, but I do take people on, right, on running these, holidays these hol- in, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in June to When's, Portugal. Oh, in Portugal, yeah, wow, yeah. So, in June. If you ever want to come along, yeah. there's there's some amazing swimming places as well, mm, nice, and mountains man. to hike up and run, all kinds of things. I'm gonna be thinking about that. Yeah, it's, I'll just be coming cuisine. back from. We're doing one in 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 Italy in May, so mm. I don't know if I could back to back it. Maybe I'll just stay there and go from Italy to see, Portugal. That, that would yeah. that would be the way to go. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta talk to Julie. Right, where about you guys that. going we'll in see. Italy? Uh, we do this event in Tuscany every year. I mean, COVID obviously we didn't do it, but. Um, we have this amazing um, uh, location there, this like working olive farm mm. uh, where we've been taking groups for many years. And it's sort of a seven day kind of food yeah. meditation, trail running, you know, extravaganza experience. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like yeah. a dream. So got a spot for you if you Uh-oh. want to do that first and Uh-oh. get a lead on your yeah. uh, on your my, Portugal my trip. My principal might not be too happy. That's right. Yeah, like, when school get out, you get yeah, those summers like, off now. Right, yeah, now that's a big thing, but uh, yeah. Right on, well, good luck at Barkley. When you, when you conquer that thing, you got an open seat to come back here and tell me how you did it. Well, that's another why. Right. There you go. <laughs> I just added to the you why. You just added man. to the why list. Cool, man. Appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Peace. Plants. Run. Wow. Harvey. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, Visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. 
And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is, of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner, and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Kale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg and Grayson Wilder. Graphic and social media assets courtesy of Jessica Miranda, Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and AJ Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace. Plants. Namaste.